Welcome back to another episode of Reality Quest. Oh. This time we have Michael Gorley, who is going to be joining us to talk on the wonderful possibilities of the metaverse. Well, I, I wish I could do something. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do a voice like that unless I... I wish I could do something similar I to that. I... Yeah. Yes, well, I'm very excited for today's episode. <laughs> Such a different voice. I know, I know, I'm so bad at voices. Oh, gosh. Uh, well, so, yeah. hey, everyone, happy New Year. Oh, gosh, yeah, right. This is this is the beginning of 2020. Happy New Year. <laughs> happy New Year, everybody. Yeah. I this is like 20 different voices, it's not. I know, I don't know. <laughs> I can't keep up. Um, so, uh, Resolutions, missed... new things, the holidays are over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's good and bad. Um, no, I'm I'm very excited for this year. Yeah. Uh, but also, a couple weeks ago, we skipped an episode. And if you didn't see our post about that, uh, we posted on Instagram. Um, so we actually tried to get together. I was in Boston and Jay was in Virginia. Oh, God. <laughs> and we had this whole plan. We're like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to get together in VR. Yeah. And, That'll um, be so easy. Yeah, it'll be so easy and straightforward. And we're going to talk about, like, do some reflection on how things are going so far in the podcast and talk about uh, maybe some of our plans for this year. Yeah, set some goals and, like, yeah. throw out some of the ideas and things we got floating around. Yeah, do, like, a special holiday slash New Year episode. But and um, we just did not have good internet access so both yeah. of us were like in the countryside jay's like in the appalachians or something like that right <laughs> yep out in the shenandoah mountain yeah shenandoah valley and i was in massachusetts but just at my mom's house which is kind of you know it's not in the middle of nowhere but it is near water and i don't know it's not near a it's city not it's not a metropolitan area for, right yeah um so we went we tried multiple social vr apps and ultimately uh because of access issues to internet um yeah. we just could not make it work we tried very very hard for three hours plus. yeah it was it was literally a three-hour ordeal yeah. I think we tried oh, not to even name any particular names because it's not about the particular platform that we were using it right. really just came down to that fundamental limitation of old infrastructure yeah. out in the country where each of us was yep and so we just could not sync up and like effectively communicate for more than a minute or two at a time right and it was horrible yeah i was super cranky but it was a good reality check <laughs> 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 um, it, it was a solid reality check it, in, it was yeah, yeah we're like you know what this is an issue lots of people deal with yeah, they're not gonna not have even, access to do social yeah. vr um and yeah. like we're both coming from families that are like relatively well off like middle class yeah um, in in varying degrees and do are not necessarily lacking resources that many people are and right. still have yeah. it takes us three hours to figure out that we're literally not going to be able to even remotely right. record an episode and can you imagine like a normal person who doesn't have to like you know, doesn't, doesn't have, have that type of, of motivation, right? Yeah, they'd just be like, "Screw this!" Yeah. yeah. Um. So these are the these are the things that hopefully will be improved with five G. We, we've no. got, a, we've got, a, <laughs> yeah, we've got a ways to go for like ubiquity of those resources. For sure, yeah. So we learned from that experience, um, and uh, we did write a poem about it. So we were like, <laughs> "Well, what can we do since we we failed everyone and we won't have an episode?" Okay. Do you want to read the poem? I do. I do. Oh, okay. Bring it up. Okay. This is how Jay and I iterate. I was like, we should write a letter to people explaining this situation so we don't disappoint all of our three fans. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> our, our massive audience yeah, of listeners then, are going to be chomping at the bit right. for another episode. And then I drafted like a letter. Something. And then and then Jay drafted like he added way more flair to it. And I was like, oh, that's too weird. Let's just write a poem. Yeah. <laughs> and like, then you're like, I'm going to write a super flary holiday poem. <laughs> <laughs> so the brain, the brain meets got together and came up with this. So enjoy post holiday your lovely Christmas poem. It's that time of year filled with happiness and cheer, or screaming and tears, Wee. when Santa flies about and Krampus sneaks out. Mm. In the sp- <laughs> I don't know. Just trying to add. <laughs> In the spirit of Yuletide, we traveled far and wide to spend time with our families and eat lots of yummy candies. We tried to record for you a special episode of Just Us Two. In headsets we went until our energy was all but spent. After three hours in the quest, our Wi-Fi signal was quite the mess. We wanted an episode of reflection, but ended up with no connection. In hitting such a wall, we witnessed challenges of VR for all. So this year, we ask the guy in red to help access be more widespread. So in a future Christmas sweater, all of this could be so much better. Isn't there oh, another part? Oh, happy holidays. <laughs> I hope your holidays are filled with light. Wishing for XR for all and to all a good night. Nice. It probably oh. should have ended on the line before that. Yeah. That was pretty good. <laughs> oh. But anyways, that was that was brilliant, by the way. <laughs> That's so good. Oh man, yeah. So so you missed out on that. Well, now you didn't miss out. There yeah. it was. Everybody um, gets to enjoy yeah. those po- poetry skills. And another one of uh plugs of my amazing skills um <laughs> is I also I bought my niece a stop motion kit. Oh right. And played around with that. I had never done stop motion before, and so I got her the gift and then I was like, "Back off." And was like using all of her stuff. <laughs> like, um, I'm a professional. Yeah, my niece I'm is 5 do. years old by the way. Um and so uh, no, we had a ton of fun, and I did a claymation experience that shows like two people, presumably you and I. Yeah, um, <laughs> just sitting by a sitting by a campfire, and uh, uh, the girl is like in a VR headset, and she's like enjoying herself, and then uh, watches something crazy, and then rips the headset off. And so I did that all <laughs> with this little stop motion starting yeah. kit. You can find that posted on your Instagram too. So yeah, our Instagram is at fine fine work. Right at Reality Quest Podcast. So go check out all of all of all of that cool work. Um, okay, where what are we doing no, here? So back on track. <laughs> Michael Gourlay. Michael Gourlay. Yeah. Um. So, uh, first off, thanks to Mike, we had a very long sit down with him, and he's an amazingly skilled, talented, intelligent individual, and um. We had such an interesting long conversation that we actually decided to do something a bit different and special with this one. Yeah, change it up a bit. Yeah, we split it into two episodes. So this is part one. That was a result of just having a really long conversation. Right. That's true. So that was like, that was definitely not intentional. Yeah. And yeah. And then we also felt like when we re-listened to the conversation, we hit so many topics and moved through things so quickly that we wanted to offer uh, some recapping and color commentary. Yeah. Thoughts on thoughts, if you will. Thoughts on thoughts on thoughts. On thoughts. <laughs> hashtag. Um, okay, so that's what's... So we here's, should use that. We should steal the hashtag thoughts on thoughts yeah. for our Twitter. Ooh, yeah. Let's see if I'm, it do doesn't that. exist yet. Um, okay, so... 
What you're about to listen to is the first half of our conversation with Michael Gourlay. Mm-hmm. And then you will listen to a lot of Jay and I quote unquote recapping. <laughs> we basically go back through and we're like, we had to listen to it multiple times to kind of gather our thoughts about yeah. it. And so that is a product of us gathering our thoughts, going back through the information, like redistilling it, and then adding some color commentary. We really enjoyed the process. We hope you do yep. too. If you're super annoyed by it and you feel like that was not worth it, I mean, let us know. Uh <laughs> But um, if you're like us, you'll listen to the whole thing and you'll be like, oh, wow, that was a lot of information. And yeah, like, go. let me think about this again. Yeah. 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 There's, there's many implications throughout. Yeah. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Mike. Um, so he currently works for Microsoft on the HoloLens team, or now it's called the Cognition team. And um, he so he led the surface reconstruction and head tracking teams for HoloLens. Okay, so let's pause. So HoloLens, for the, anyone who doesn't know, is the augmented reality headset that Microsoft built. Yes, and it would be useful to give a brief sh- or explanation of augmented reality for, again, anyone that is not part of the industry. Okay, here. yeah, let's do that, and then we'll come back to Mike's story. Yeah. yeah, yeah. so Mike works on an augmented reality platform, the HoloLens. Mm-hmm. Augmented reality, or AR in the XR industry in this space, is essentially any technology that allows you to cross over a digital object or what would seem like holograms um, onto the real environment. So it basically allows you to see things that are not physically there, but that are digitally imposed onto the environment around you. Onto the real world. Yeah, onto onto natural reality where we all exist every day. (laughs) Right. So as opposed to virtual reality, um, a lot of people who aren't as directly involved in the industry get confused about the differences. Virtual reality is all encapsulating. You literally disappear into a totally different world. fully immersive and separate. Yeah, it's like living in a video game. Um, In augmented reality, there is information that is overlaid or added to your real world, and you can still see your real world. Um, Now, there is going to be like, I'm sure there's lots of nuanced definitions of AR and Mm -hmm. arguments over what it actually is. what When it's constituting AR versus virtual and all of that. Right. But ultimately, what you need to know is that like it, these devices that are considered AR have an understanding of you and the space you are in. Um, So necessity. Right. And then they dynamic, they can dynamically present digital information to you as an enhancement or addition to your real world view. Um, and so, like, they're going to be listening to your voice, potentially. They're yeah. going to be knowing uh, what your room looks like that you're in, mm-hmm. um, all of these things. And it's it's a, it's by necessity because they have to be able to adapt to the spaces that you're in. Right. Um, whether that is being aware of the environment so that they can place objects in different places and have them look reasonable um, or, like, keeping you safe as you're moving through some sort of area. Um, or having context to different things that you're looking at in order to present you with relevant information. Right. And uh, it comes in a lot of forms. So for average folks who aren't in the industry, <laughs> yeah. um, y- you use it probably through Snapchat filters or something like that, you know, or or when you're talking on FaceTime, mm-hmm. um, things like this, when you're using those faces oh, yeah, where, where it, it can see your face and transforms into a dragon or whatever <laughs> that is, you're using it with your kids. 
Um, that is those. augmented reality. It understands your face. It has facial recognition, and then it is overlaying something that doesn't actually exist onto your face. Yeah. Um, so that is one example. Pokemon Go was a really um, famous recent example that made it pretty mainstream, and that was through people's phones, so they could go out in the real world and see Pokemon uh, hidden and out running around park. out in the or, park. Yeah, in your local Starbucks. Right. <laughs> um, and then there's things like the Microsoft HoloLens. So come bringing back to Mike, so HoloLens was a big deal uh, because there actually aren't a lot of like hands-free devices yeah. that can do this that are commercially uh, that are available to an average consumer yeah thus far augmented reality has either been limited to um, enterprise or well holograms oh yeah like external holograms that are there's pretty much they're going to be stuck in a space because mm -hmm. there has to be a device projecting them or looking through your phone or some sort of camera in a framed device yeah but a, a headset like that enables you to actually put it on your face so that most of your view in front of you can have these objects and and different things to interact with imposed into your real world. Right. And so uh, HoloLens was like really the first company to come out with that in a way that enterprise consumers could start playing around with it and using it yeah. um, or government. Uh, and so it had application or like the, the type of applications it would be used for in that sense when you have a device on your head like that are often like engineering. Um, so people uh, working maybe let's say at Boeing or something building mm -hmm. planes and they need like additional information, but they also need to be, um, you know, actually fixing things in the plane or whatever yeah, that is. Yeah. Um, uh, military, I mean, being able to have information uh, overlaid on what you're looking at. I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. we know about that with like the negative sides of maybe like shooting. Yeah, maybe um, the internet came from DARPA net. So, right. Like, uh, it all gets funded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's also positives about like, well, you have more information. Ultimately, yeah. it's more information. It's also less distracting in the same way that a cell phone is, in that you have to look at this small device in order to focus on all of that flow of information and feed from your social networks and internet um, devices like this can enable you to kind of integrate it into your world in a way that is not so distracting. Right. Well, it's kind of like when we in episode two, when we talked with Tom Furness and yeah. we're talking about uh, heads up displays within f piloting planes. I yeah. mean, it's like that where it's just going to make information easier to see and easier to consume on top of your real world. Mm -hmm. um, some other examples. So uh, for, again, people who just like are stepping in and really trying to learn about this, Google Glass <laughs> was a big thing. That was oh, like yeah. when, when Google yeah. Glass came out, that was like the big potential augmented reality thing. And I feel like a lot of people became more familiar with Google Glass than they have become in some ways with the HoloLens. Yeah. Like if you ask somebody what Google Glass is, I feel like they'll know or they'll have some or sort of idea. they heard something about right, it. Right, they heard something about yeah. it, but... Um, uh, there was just a lot of hype about that. And I think with HoloLens and other things like it, it just, for whatever reasons, it's been like more just centered uh, in, uh, in the industry mm -hmm. um, and not as uh, pub publicized. Yeah, I think also with devices like that, it was that people saw uh, pictures of someone wearing it more often. Right. And that's what uh, made the rounds on media. Yeah, and, and it looks like actual stuff. glasses. Like somebody, yeah. any any tech enthusiast like little, uh, Star would be Trek, interested in getting it. Right. Star Trek headset. Now that uh, did not, it that actually continues. They're kind of under the radar. They did pause the project. I think it goes on. That was back in like 2012 when they announced it or something. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it hasn't been like, I don't want to talk too much about it. It's just not, they don't really have anything to show yet, at least for people who are, you know, maybe in, in maybe within internally they do, but we don't know about it. Um, 
And then there was also recent hype about Magic Leap, which is another popular headset um, like HoloLens, which got outrageous amounts of investment and has not produced sales according to expectations. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of that's a whole can that's of worms. That's a whole but the can timing of worms. Is, the timing is challenging because the, in- right. the the industry is developing right now, but the applications are uh, just limitless. And the audience that could benefit from it doesn't really know enough about it yet. So That's right. And so we hope to fix things like that by having episodes like this where we learn about <laughs> AR. Um, but so uh, let's go back to like talking a little bit about Mike. So now that you have, if you didn't before, a better understanding about like what AR is and the form factor, like the headsets mm-hmm. and all of that. Um, so he used to so he actually going back in his past he studied physics so he got his phd in physics and he was doing a lot of uh simulations of things like fluids fluid Um, dynamics right and he ended up working in gaming at electronic arts uh that's there's like a whole story behind that of how he even got into it but obviously there is crossover between physics and game design or game mechanics Uh, game engine building right like yeah yeah game engine building special effects all of these things Mm -hmm. or visual effects i mean Mm -hmm. um and so uh, eventually he gets recruited to um, to interview in Washington State uh, for a secret project with Microsoft. Now, this project turned out to be the HoloLens headset. And so that was a secret project. And anyone who joined that team actually had no idea what they were about to work on. Yeah. Um, what's super cool for him is that he actually had a huge interest, and we get into this in the episode, in the novel Snow Crash, which is a um, science fiction novel about – the metaverse, like the potential of uh, immersive technologies of AR and VR. Yeah, one one author's sort of vision of what that future might look like. Right. And so he was fascinated by that. He was inspired by it in multiple ways. Um, and uh, lo and behold, his life leads him to actually working within that world. Yeah. And so what he did is at um, on the HoloLens team primarily is he ran the surface reconstruction and head tracking teams. And so what that means going back to uh, what the, you know, with the headsets is that they have to have an understanding of your environment and, and you. So for surface reconstruction, they have to understand uh, that a table is a table so that uh, you might be able to put something on top of it like a hologram. Yeah. Um, they have to understand where the walls are and where the limits are, where all the surfaces are. And there's a whole, you know, they had to construct it so that it could do that and it could create meshes around that and understand it. All all things that hadn't really been done in any other like hardware device like that before. Right. So it was a completely new problem domain for them. Yep. And then head tracking is tracking your head. So what are you looking at? Yeah. Um, And uh, so those were the teams he ran. He did that for HoloLens um, and Windows Mixed Reality headsets. So because Microsoft started out with HoloLens, which is augmented reality, and then a lot of that translates into VR headsets. Um, And so they also have produced those headsets. Um, You might not be as familiar with them because they are often distributed under the name of a different company like Lenovo or something like that. Um, Anyways, so he's he's a principal manager um, for holographic device experiences and application models at Microsoft. Um, So he definitely has a Ton. A fuck ton of experience <laughs> yeah. and knowledge in this domain. Right. Um, and you'll see, so in this episode, we do get into, <laughs> I know, we get into so much. Like, he just yeah. has so much experience, so many thoughts about everything. And so we do get into augmented reality. Yeah. We also get into the metaverse and, like, his thoughts on on that, where it's all going. 
uh, benefits, challenges. A lot of like fundamental level, like human dynamics, which has always been interesting about this whole domain of XR because it's a technology that just tends to take us right back to the lowest level problems that we have as humans. So we dig into all kinds of different uh, specific problems that we deal with in AR in that context. Now, what we don't, so like I said, we split this up into two. It's all around those types of topics we just said. Mm -hmm. What we don't get into that we really wanted to (laughs) was the hardware. And so don't be mad at us. We tried, but like after three (laughs) hours of talking, we had to cut it off. Um, So we're going to have him back. Somebody was going to die of like starvation or dehydration. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. So we're going to have him back at some point for a part three onwards, uh, because we what we would love to talk with him about is um, more about his past and getting into the HoloLens team and also uh, what it was like to be on those teams that are creating these types of devices and working with this, this platform yeah. that didn't they didn't have a lot of answers. They're using mainly research and building something that was for the most part, unprecedented before that. Exactly. Um, Basically, just that whole problem of tackling seemingly intractable problems. Um, So that is, and that's a particularly interesting area because he's had so many different situations where he has been up against something that is very abstract and needing to build a consumer piece of hardware um, and software out of that to actually solve that problem. Yeah, So. so... He's an amazing person. He has like so much information to offer. We get into, I, I love all of the topics that we talk about in, in these episodes coming up. And uh, we definitely hope to have him back to talk more about that hardware and his experience actually building something that didn't exist yet. Yeah. Um, I think that's it. <laughs> just like, I'm like, <laughs> so, I want to so make tired. My, I think that's it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think. Well, it's just a lot deep of information. Breath. Yeah. Deep breath. If you're Put on confused. Your... I was going to say, like, get your get your uh, your climbing harness on and like ropes Ooh. and everything ready, and and we basically just are going to spelunk deep into the metaverse. <gasps> I love that. Yeah, <laughs> and if you get lost, don't worry because we're going to be there at the end to help you help navigate back through it. Hopefully, tie up some of those loops. Yes. All right, everyone, enjoy. I try not to exaggerate. Yeah. So I want to say dozens to hundreds of them in my yard in oh, Florida. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. And so it sounded like a chorus of murder. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. What, what, I, what was this? It was. It's a kind of frog mm. that it's sort of mating call sounds like <laughs> a woman being <laughs> murdered. That's lovely. And the funniest part was like, I mean, the longer story is, so uh, my ex-wife called me while I was at work and Mm -hmm. said, our neighbor is being murdered. Come home immediately. So I did. And I heard the sound and I was like, oh, (laughs) I don't know what that is. I'm going to go out and look. And I see this little tiny white frog going, "Mm." You know how like they're yeah neck, with their 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 the bubble. It, it was pretty funny to see this itty bitty little frog making all that ruckus. <laughs> oh gosh! Um, I, was, I have other stories like we... that, but yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, now that we have that out of the way, <laughs> um, this is maybe getting into it deep right off the bat. But one of the things I 
talk about when people ask about, you know, or, or ponder what the use of augmented reality is. Mm. And a lot of times, you know, so I work with a lot of game designers mm. and game designers are trained to think about, let's create an experience that surfs the line between boredom and frustration. So if, if an experience is too engaging, it's like too overwhelming, too stressful. Yeah. People get stressed out and they stop. Mm-hmm. But if it's not engaging enough, not challenging enough, they get bored and they stop using it. And so yeah. the intent is to use like exactly 100% of attention, of mm-hmm. your attention, not less than that, not more than that, yeah. not to overwhelm Fully you. engaged. Fully engaged. And, uh, and so when you're designing, when those same people go to design augmented reality mm-hmm. experiences, that sensibility dominates. And I think it's a mistake. And the reason is because... Yeah, it seems problematic. The reason why you want to augment reality is principally because you want to be in reality. And then you yeah. want to augment it. Enhance it somehow. You want to enhance it, but enhancing it, I think, can mean a variety of things. And one of them, yeah. I think, can mean that it gives you back some of the attention that you would otherwise be spending on things that you would rather not be spending them on. Yeah. And so like in contrast to that, like you see these experiences that it's like all these super hyper engaging games or other experiences and even navigation through the streets where it's like, Mm -hmm. you want to find, you know, you want to be alerted to a great concert coming up or a great deal or a good new restaurant or whatever. Yes. I want those things. But I also think that it behooves the system to know when not to distract you from, for example, the fact that you're about to step into a bench that's poking out of a wall. Yeah. And living in Capitol Hill, you know, you come to appreciate how much of your attention that you want to preserve for just getting across the street. Because it's so chaotic and busy and there's just yeah, exactly. so much happening. Yeah. That could be dangerous in the real world. <laughs> that's right. And I mean, that's not that atypical because I, be, I think in other situations, like let's say you're having a party mm-hmm. and, and let's say we're far enough into the future where it's more common to have an AR headset or AR capabilities than, than it is to not. Yeah. Like it's, right it's now, like for phones. example, right. I was going to say, if you have any friends who don't have a smartphone, your thought is what's wrong with this person. <laughs> Right. That wasn't true 10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, that's transformed. Right. And so I think at some point we'll, we'll hit that point in Mm -hmm. in augmented reality. And so imagine we're there and what would a party look like in that scenario? And I think the answer is it looks a lot like the parties that you'd have right now. uh, Meaning that most of your attention is spent on interacting with other people. Mm -hmm. And the main difference might be things like, instead of having a television, why would you bother actually having atoms occupy actual space yeah. when everybody could just share holographic television. Yeah, you just have your room virtually decorated with the different things that you want. That's right. Yeah. And any like, you know, any sort of games that you're playing mm-hmm. are not going to be attention, you know, the kind of games that draw your attention. They're the mm-hmm. kind of games that you play right now at parties. It'll be some, something like beer pong Yeah, where, you know, it's not, it's not like people are super intense when they, you know, are like, <laughs> Oh my, you know, like they're just not like a crowd of four television networks, you know, swarming around with, with, with like over the intensity of beer pong. It's, that's not the point. Yeah, the point yeah. of beer pong is not the beer pong. It's, <laughs> it's everything around it. It's just an yeah, excuse to pile around a the interaction that it right. creates. So I think situation. that's what, that's what augmented reality, that is one form that augmented reality will take. And probably the dominant one mm-hmm. is that it will give you attention back. Cause right now, if I want to walk around a new city and find this four-star restaurant or whatever, mm-hmm. I'm like staring at my phone, 
and very likely to get into trouble if it's a, it's a, if it's a place like Cap Hill. Now, yeah. if it happens to be Galway or what, what was the other place that we went to? At Dingle. Dingle, where there's hardly anything else going on. You're probably not going to get into... Dingle is a city in Ireland. It's, yeah. a, it's a quaint <laughs> fishing village. And Dingle yeah. Island, yeah. Dingle um, Island. And, mm-hmm. you know, so there you, you can get away with, like, having your nose in your phone. <laughs> but, you know, I think that, that uh, that's not, you know, we want to plan for the kind of worst case right. scenario. Well, I mean, an obvious one for me is driving because mm-hmm. I have gotten those things where you can put your phone up on your dashboard. Yeah. But I've also had like issues with drivers. those, like they fall off, blah, blah, yeah. blah. So currently mm-hmm. I don't have one. And I'll hold my phone in my lap, which is just a complete Ooh. nightmare. Or oh, like yeah. I'll hold it up in my yeah. hand. And when I hold it up in my hand and drive with one hand, I've had people yell at me thinking yeah. I'm like very clearly texting and driving. Right, right. Which I am. But <laughs> <laughs> that's not the point. Um, no, I'm actually, you know, using Google Maps or something. Mm-hmm. But that to me would be one where I really need my attention to be focused on the road. And I would love to have like everything available to me including like there's a biker coming it's kind of like well a lot of the cars like your car mike has that you know they have the sensors and everything now so it's something like that except those sensors are the worst and you know how they freak me out like they give me a heart attack. So yeah. it's like I oh, wasn't they, I wasn't going to hit something. They try to notify but then it beeps. It notifies you so aggressively yeah. that yeah. then I become at risk of hitting something. I, I have a, a similar like eyesight system in my mm-hmm. car right now um, that will it will like beep really loudly at me if it thinks that I am drifting into a lane mm-hmm. um, that I'm not intending to. Right. And it's able to tell the difference of when I'm doing it intentionally versus not relatively well, but every once in a while it scares me. But isn't that because you have your blinker on? That's how it knows? Uh, no. Oh. No, it, like it can actually tell like, oh, he is, he has turned and is intentionally like moving that way oh, versus right. lightly drifting. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. You know? Right, right. Um, it's like smart enough to do that, but sometimes it will freak out and think that I am changing lanes when I'm not, and I, it'll scare me sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. It's like... It, <sighs> It's a. It's going to be a hard series of problems just to design um, those kinds of systems because it needs to know that even though you were looking for concerts earlier, you're driving through downtown, right. and it shouldn't throw an arrow out saying like, "Hey, look over here! This particular venue is having all these different shows happening tonight." Right? Because then you get in a wreck. So actually, that mm. um, so there's a, a sort of a perspective that I have or stole from someone. I'm not sure which. Which is <laughs> augmented reality. Like if we, if you think about what goes into building an augmented reality system right now, Mm -hmm. it's a bunch of sensors, some of which are exotic, some of which are not, and some algorithms um, to kind of process that data. Mm -hmm. But the amount of data that you're collecting or processing or whatever is gigantic. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's information about your environment. It's a, it's about the way it looks, the way it's laid out, the way it sounds. Um, And there, then some of the sensors can see into sort of frequencies that we cannot as humans. Yeah. And so there's a gigantic amount of information and it also is listening to what you're saying. It's very attentive. It's also Mm -hmm. listening to your environment and, uh, and it also knows what you're doing. It knows what your hands are doing and knows what you're looking at and it knows what you're, what you're saying. And, um, that's if you have a a headset on meaning. So let's, so speaking of the car things, yeah. I think when you were buy when you were looking to buy a car, Mike, mm-hmm. 
you looked at one of the Lexus cars mm-hmm. and it had some sort of display on the dashboard right, right, that right. it could provide. And technically... Like a, the windshield. Below. Right. Yeah. yeah. A heads-up uh, display. A heads-up okay. display. So technically that is augmented reality, yes. Right. right. And, and so in that I, case, it's not tracking your eyes, right? It, it isn't. That's correct. Okay. But what I'm getting at is this. When you have all the sensors and all that monitoring, mm-hmm. then it's a great platform to collect data and learn from it. And mm-hmm. so... And, you know, I think that, yeah. that, that it would be a wasted opportunity not to do that. And so what well, I was imagining was for... if you skip ahead a hundred years and look back on the sort of the beginning of augmented reality, yeah, it instead of it being an end of its own, I think it will be looked back upon as the necessary detour that we had to take in order to train fantastical artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so my point really is, you know, talking about like false positives and false negatives and and understanding your environment. I think that the biggest promise of augmented reality is actually, has actually nothing to do with the holograms or very little to do with the holograms. Mm -hmm. It has more to do with the artificial, the machine assistance that will come out from that. And so, for example, at the very least, Mm -hmm. they will know when they're interrupting you from something critical. And they would only do that if in their judgment, that was deemed the appropriate thing to do. Mm -hmm. Not, for example, because they're too stupid to know otherwise. Or they got a notification. That's right. You need to see. Right. And so I think that that problem in the long run will not only be solved, but it'll Mm -hmm. actually be solved to a degree that probably surpasses, you know, uh, like what a human assistant would, would do. Meaning yeah. like there's, it's one level to have an AI be able to respond to what's happening. Mm-hmm. I think the next level is that they will anticipate what you will want even before you realize that you will want it. Yeah. It's, it's like taking this whole suite of like recommendation systems um, and, and think it's like having an entire team of secretaries and right. humans monitoring everything you're doing. Right. And anticipating things. And they'll be learning from, a you know, 7 billion people on the planet. Yeah. And so it will be like having Jane, Jane, Janet, Janet from, Oh, from, uh, uh, oh, the good, show. the good place, the good place. Yeah. You know, meaning that, that, that assistant will have the benefit of all people across all time starting at, you know, whatever yeah. date and, and yet everyone benefits from all of that experience. Now, obviously, you know, it, it would be customized to the person and all that, but, mm-hmm. but like some gigantic fraction of human experience is going to be shared across all humans. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where augmented reality is really headed. It's mm-hmm. not, better displays not i mean that will that will happen but yeah. I, I think the end point is is artificial intelligences and furthermore coming back to like what is the ideal form factor i think the answer is no form factor at all it'll be integrated into your body and more than likely that will be systemic it would be in every part of your body uh or you know in your spinal cord or something like that or in your in, in your brain Oh, and and so okay. in my like my sort of so it's not a contact lens <laughs> i think that even <laughs> like before like mirror. even i'm sure that we'll pass through a phase where the contact lens version of a display will will seem amazing but remember that you also have to have the auditory component and yeah. the tactile component mm. So yeah, we will need these these interfaces that are being experimented with right now. Right, and it's interesting interesting to think like when we've sort of maxed out on audio and visual, and then you know we'll get to tactile, mm-hmm. and then the next thing will be some sort of thing that you slip 
your tongue into so that it can stimulate. <laughs> like you're wearing like a tongue glove. A tongue glove. Wait, what? I <laughs> missed Whoa. that connection. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're racing through so many interesting topics right now that I feel like a lot of them need a little bit more clarification. That's like true. Yeah. A tongue glove. I've never heard anybody I just say made that, that up. word <laughs> before. Well, sorry. I like somehow missed. I mean, missed. I think How did you, you said the actual that? word tongue glove, but yeah. I, I think that I might have just. No, I think you said it. Might. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Both of you. <laughs> oh my god! So, why? What was the tongue glove doing for us? It's giving you the uh, sense of flavor. So you can oh, drink a virtual Manhattan. Right, right, right. And my oh, point was right, the contact yeah. lens only takes care of one one sense. Yes, one, yes, uh, yes. Sorry, yeah. one sense. Yeah, makes sense. And so that's why I think the brain interface is, or slash neural interface, is where we're headed. Which we already yeah. have medication, obviously, that interferes with our neurons or it can. Mm-hmm. That's like, right. And yeah. there are like, there are, there have been attempts at these sort of hat type things that can sense your brain and, mm-hmm. and or potentially induce electric and magnetic fields in your brain. It's highly problematic. I don't think the that's hats, a, like those weird like wire things. The wire things. They have like electrodes or like these EEG arrays. Yep. Um, I feel like the resolution is usually a problem with that. From what I've heard, and this is, I have no personal expertise, but it doesn't sound like it's going anywhere super fast because of a variety yeah. of issues. Yeah. So I don't want to speculate on that one, but I still think that like there will be some sort of neural implant that that will be the end, end game mm-hmm. for the human computer interface. And I also think that one particularly interesting version of that, so this digital assistant that we're sort of hypothesizing, Yeah. imagine that there's a version of that. Like the, I think you would end up with like your your staff, which, you know, like you have different digital assistants and not because they need to be different, but because we as humans need that differentiation. And yeah. so it'll be just as we artifice. give people roles. Right. And, and, our and we'll give them different change. names. And even, yeah. even though they're all different aspects of the same sort of machine <laughs> intelligence. But I think that one of those will sound exactly like us. And so there will be this very, very blurry line between our own thoughts and the thoughts that are created by the one particular particular digital assistant that sounds to us like us. Would, oh. Mm-hmm. Like your internal monologue. Yeah. And you, I think that that monologue will be enhanced at some point. Meaning that, oh, would you want that? I I just, I'm thinking about that and it seems like if there was a what felt like a less um, self-driven or voluntary sort of monologue. Mm-hmm. Maybe I wouldn't even be able to tell. I don't right. know. That It just, it seems... I don't think I think that's the best part of it, is you won't be able to tell. I don't think it's actually that much different to me than what already happens in my brain. Mm-hmm. Meaning you have a way that you talk with yourself and yeah. that you have different moods when you're doing that. You mm-hmm. have different personalities sometimes. And I'm not talking about real schizophrenia. We just, we all know we have different... Or multiple personalities or dissociative personalities. Right. Um, I'm talking about that we can kind of be slightly different on a given day or or in a different phase in our life. And we also have the voices of our friends, our family, the social expectations. Mm -hmm. And so those will just be other voices like that. Because I think already we can end up struggling with like, who are we really? And what would we be without all of these external influences? Well, there is no real answer. There is no real like one you that you could go back to the core of. Yeah, no right. single identity. That's, right. That's what I think. But yeah. Well, I, I mean, I feel like you even, your whole mental sort of flora 
that is going on at any point in time mental is... Mental flora. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. What about mental fauna? Go on, sorry. Men- <laughs> <laughs> your your mental flora and fauna are Those changing. are the two different personalities. Yeah. 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 Oh, my God. Oh, my oh, God. That's what it is. Oh. Uh, right here, folks. <laughs> we coined oh it God. first. <laughs> Um, they change from like moment to moment, just even from room to room. I love the the dynamic, that sort of thing that happens when you are thinking about a thing in one room and you pass through some sort of passageway mm-hmm. and you forget about that thing mm-hmm. as soon as you're in the other room. And then you have to like go back and remember it again. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like you're a different slice of you with slightly different influences just right. because of a different space that you're in. I think that, so. yeah, I think I'm pretty optimistic about all of these things as, as nefarious as they could become. I'm still optimistic about the bright side. Like the ultimate outcome yeah. is that we will figure out how to get. And there's this part of your brain. I can't remember what the name of it is, but it's the part that is the sort of. Oblongdala. Um, the <laughs> middle oblongdala. That is no, not. It's not that it's one. Not uh, it's not a thing. It's something else. And it's the part that basically monitors the rest of your brain function. And it's the part of your brain that says, basically, like, it can tell what you're thinking about doing and says you probably shouldn't do that. And like, uh, it, So it's like your, your, your hesitation conscience. or your inhibition. It's the, yeah, it's, and it's the thing that when we talk about, um, uh, oh, not awareness training, what is it? You know, like meditation, there's a word. mindfulness, oh, mindfulness, mindfulness, mindfulness yeah. training. That's the part of your brain that you're exercising. And I'm afraid okay. that if you built a better you that you couldn't distinguish, then that part of your brain would atrophy. So yeah. I think that like, even though the outcome might be better, it might actually make you more reliant on this sort of, super, you know, system. super, super ego or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Why would it atrophy? Well, I'm just imagining, let's say that there was this artificial intelligence that lived in your brain that you subjectively experienced as another part of yourself. Mm-hmm. And An it was the thing that was basically like, I can tell you want to punch this guy, but you know, I have information that basically leads me to inform you that that's a bad idea. Yeah, so instead shouldn't. of that part of your brain <laughs> activating to stop that impulse, it's this AI, and so that part of your brain would oh, that's not have so to Oh, that's so weird. This is like when people started to write mm-hmm. down information. Socrates and, and like all the students. Well, they were, thought, well, well, I don't know, but I, I but they thought that we would not remember things as yeah. well, right? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have to memorize entire sagas and retell them. You could just write them down. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so it gave would. us huge advancement, but I bet that it did take away a certain power Perhaps. of our right. mind. Right. Um, that's pretty crazy to think about. A similar yeah. thing I feel like it's been happening with um, with our navigational abilities because oh, everyone totally. uses GPS now. So mm-hmm. they've, they've done research mm-hmm. that shows that the more you use GPS and rely on that, the less uh, exercised your whole navigational part of your brain is. I totally believe that. But at the same time, it it has literally, well, maybe not literally, it has figure, <laughs> figuratively leveled the playing field. So now when I decide where I want to go for mm. some you know, lunch or whatever, I no longer fall back to, well, I know where this is and I know how to get there and it's comfortable. Yeah, It's now like just as easy for me to be like, there's a... a you know, there's a thousand places within mm-hmm. driving distance and I haven't, I don't even, I'm not even cognizant of 99% of them. And that yeah. is no barrier to me just going straight there. Right. And depending on what city you live in, like I lived in Atlanta for eight years. Mm-hmm. It is hopeless <laughs> to try to, to navigate from point A to an arbitrary point A to an arbitrary point B in Atlanta, mm-hmm. given the traffic that's there oh. and they have no grid. Um, 
after eight years of living there, I mean, it would just take forever and ever. And if mm-hmm. you take a wrong turn, it's like, it's punishing. Is right, it like but... a lot of one-way streets in that city? <laughs> it's a lot of like eight-way intersections oh, and God. curvy streets and yeah. streets that rename themselves. And I oh. think about 47% of the streets in Atlanta are named Peachtree. That's very true. I mean, look yeah. it up. Don't take my word <laughs> no, for that. Look it up. Yeah. So. But I think that... The point is, even though that gives us large advancement, now we can go to all these places and we can find them. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, and I think this is what you were getting at, Jay, is that uh, you could imagine that if we didn't have any of that, and that's easy to imagine because we we didn't (laughs) used to have Google Maps. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. You had to print out, you know, yeah, you had to print out directions or rely on a map. And I think that was it. It It's like people created maps, you know, they wrote down maps and it's the same idea. It was like people wrote down maps and then they probably thought at that time, like, well, you know, we used to be able to just like, you know, stick our finger in the air and know what direction to go in or something. Taste the wind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's just an advanced version of that. Yeah. But going back to where this came from, Mike, so the the atrophy of that part of your brain, mm-hmm. that is pretty crazy to think about because the picture you're painting for me right now is that ultimately, so everyone talks about being scared of like, whether it's alien invasion or like robots taking over the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But really, we will become the robots mm-hmm. yeah, through I- these <laughs> body implants, thanks to um, augmented reality, mm-hmm. which will turn, which will combine with artificial intelligence yeah. to build us into superhumans, yes. which will ultimately be then atrophy until we can't, we are just a skin vessel and so we can't actually do anything because those machines will do everything for us well except that we are the machines and so we'll be doing (laughs) it for ourselves and so i think the thing is like a lot of people are good at envisioning an entertaining version of a dystopian universe and then there are a lot of a lot of journalists who like to fancy themselves good at describing this these dystopian things and they're very self-righteous people yeah and i get really bored with them very we are calling out this terrible future that we're building right now right and i'm like look if you're gonna paint a doom and gloom picture do it in a way that entertains me or shut up because i think that the science fiction authors are just as good at saying here's the worst thing i could think of yeah so let's not do that. Yeah. Like, yeah. let's do let's like something other than the worst thing I can think <laughs> of. But if you're just a journalist, you're coming up with a mediocre version of awful. Yep. Yep. And I'm just like, shut the fuck up. Actually, I really love science fiction for that reason specifically, is that it's one of the best ways that we can basically do extremely thorough, like mental experiments. Mm-hmm to explore what a potential future would look like mm-hmm. if we didn't do it right. Yeah. And then that's how we learned how to not go that right. far down that path. Right. So, so I, I like to take heed in those things and I think that we will learn those lessons. And I think the reality will be, there will be the occasional detour into, you know, Orwellian stuff, kind of mm-hmm. like the stuff that Snowden exposed. Yeah. But my thought was always like, well, if things got anywhere near that bad, somebody would eventually expose it. Yeah. And lo and behold, that does it will happen. bubble up to the top. And, and, yeah. and so I'm, I'm actually not, I'm not overly worried about the dystopian versions of stuff because I think that, I, I guess maybe it's, maybe it just boils down to I'm an optimist. I don't, I'm not yeah. completely stupid into, you know, thinking that somebody won't try that shit. Or like saying I think that, that none of those things are going to happen. I think just goodness will prevail. In, yeah. In, you know, over the long run. 
ultimately. I like to yes. think that, but, you know, you guys know I've been in a dark place mentally. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, we've grown up in the United States of America, which yeah. has all its problems. But, mm-hmm. you know, there are a lot of places where I can see that dystopian future. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been reading way too much about Korea lately. So, Ooh. like, let me caveat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but... I I typically, I think, historically considered myself definitely an optimist, mm-hmm. especially with stuff like this. And I'm like, well, it'll always balance itself out. Just you know, and I think perception. that ultimately it good will prevail or there will be some sort of balance, but I think there will be pockets. And the question is like where those will be the same way. It might not be like countries, because mm-hmm. that whole concept could could change as well, right? Yeah. But I think that there will be the equivalent of countries, nations, Mm. or terrorism that will use that the worst case scenario. And in this case, I mean, I immediately think of whether it's through virtual reality or in this case, definitely with the augmented reality with putting an implant in, it's it's brainwashing, right? Yeah. I mean, we can already do that without this stuff. Yeah, I was going to say these. these are things that are already a problem, and it's just right now it's like through the the small handheld window that we have of a phone. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're talking about taking a lot of the lessons that we've learned and pitfalls we fell into with these devices and figuring out how to maybe build them a little bit more constructively mm-hmm. and in a more healthy manner in a way that's more integrated with us as well. Really, I feel like by we have to. <laughs> I didn't used to be such an optimist. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and that was the darkest time for sort of the potential for nuclear holocaust. If you ask people of my age, and if you ask them in the mid to late 80s, Mm -hmm. what are the chances of of a devastating nuclear annihilation of the entire planet? And the answer would be like a hundred percent. Yeah. Like how close are we? <laughs> right. And, and, That's and crazy. an interesting fact that somebody pointed out at one point was if you look at all the video games of the 1980s, none of them were winnable. Literally there was no such concept as a, oh. as a winning scenario. It was like arcade style. It was Arcades. Just yeah. So like space invaders, Pac-Man, it just gets harder and harder until you die. Yeah. And that like somebody theorized that that was because, the people of that era yeah. felt that that's just where we were headed in terms oh, of nuclear holocaust. It was, it was the zeitgeist. The zeitgeist right. of the time. And I felt like nuclear annihilation was just like, I was fortunate in the sense that I got to be a witness to the spectacular ending of civilization. And then we, and then like the Berlin wall fell and then yeah. Glasnost and perestroika happened. Some and like, there was a, there was an extent to which I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> I have like, decades left (laughs) I've got to find something to do and so I decided to become an optimist Uh, I decided to become yeah I was just like oh well it's all up from here (laughs) I mean it it can only get better after we we managed to dodge the end of the world (laughs) Um, but the other thing you mentioned about the end of 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 nations Mm. And it's an interesting segue into Snow Crash because that was the premise. Uh, that was the backdrop in Snow Crash, which was that basically na- nations, like the, the concept of geography became quaint. Yeah. And so you'd have these little pockets of like, here's this nation, here's mm. this sovereignty, and here's that sovereignty. By the way, Snow Crash, because we want to make sure this is accessible to people yeah, yeah, who yeah. are not in this industry and yeah. can listen. So Snow Crash is by Neil Stevenson, mm. and it is a novel which uh, was written in what, the 80s or? 90s. 90s. Okay. And 
<clears throat> seems like the Bible for the immersive tech industry, essentially. I would, I would, yeah, I would say that's, yeah. that's pretty true. And this concept of the metaverse, which is much discussed, yeah. that word, as far as I know, came from that book. Um, there were other books at the time, the genre was called cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. And there were other kind of virtual reality and augmented reality books at the time. And he didn't invent the genre. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at the time, it like, it just seemed like it was yet another book, but it somehow, um, I don't know. It somehow persisted more so than a lot of the other books, yeah. especially in, in the way that it shapes the future. And yeah. in fact, by the way, Neil Stevenson, who who lives up here in the Pacific Northwest, um, is I believe one of his roles is as I think the title is futurist, and I think he works for Magic Leap. And, he, and oh. last I checked, he did. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so he's he's still kind of got a hand in the game. And by the way, right. he's huh. one of my favorite authors of all time. Yeah. And yeah. also, we co-taught. He didn't. He doesn't know this. He doesn't know me from Adam. But <laughs> we were both guest lecturers. He's at, probably listening. You should say hi. I'm sure he is. I'm 100. Hey, hey, Neil, how's it going? Yeah. <laughs> Just wanted to um, give a shout out to my f- best friend, Neil Stevenson. <clears throat> anyway, end of that uh, line of reasoning. No. So uh, th- I I wanted to talk about the metaverse. Yeah. Yeah. Because is a, it's great because it's a term that we've been wanting to use to describe mm-hmm. what we're trying to explore. But I feel like. Outside of the VR and XR domain, it's still not a widely known term. Yeah, if you told sure. my family, if somebody said metaverse, they'd like, just, what like is, they don't know what that means. They wouldn't right. even ask because they'd think you were saying something incorrectly. I yeah, think. and here's the, like here's the interesting rift inside the industry. It is such an overused term that yeah. it's become a sad kind of joke to say <laughs> that something is the metaverse or whatever. And so every time, like I, I promise you that a month does not go by before some journalist will write down in like, without any sense of irony, uh, they'll use the word metaverse in their title and talk about some particular application as being the the metaverse. Mm -hmm. By the way, I ran such a thing. So I, uh, I was the, I don't know what the title would be, but like I ran alt space for a little while. Oh, okay. So like the, 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 Program owner or product owner? I mean... He was Katie's role. Yeah. So, so episode one for us... It's really the product owner. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess. Yeah. Just FYI. Katie, I mean. Katie reported to me and she was doing a better job. So I, <laughs> out of, out, on principle, just quit. She right has then some there. very yeah. unique talents. Yeah. I was like, really promote her right. or I'm leaving the company. <laughs> and nobody cared. They were like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, if you haven't listened to episode one, yeah, nice Katie plug. Katie. Um, Katie Kelly, who currently runs Altspace. And so that we talk a lot about Altspace, yeah. which yeah. For, in, in short right now, if you haven't listened to it, is a virtual reality uh, platform, social platform. Yeah. So where you can like go into virtual rooms with virtually with people yeah, it's and, like a, and whole, it's a whole ecosystem yeah for, right and yeah. so let me tell you like my experience of snow crash because mm-hmm. i think it dovetails into everything else okay um which is i read snow crash and around 19 i want to say 94 95 something like that okay it had been out for a couple of years i want to say mm-hmm. and i read that book and i had two thoughts immediately one of them was i was angry at my friends for not making me read it earlier. And I called a friend of mine who lived in Austin, which was one of the kind of hotbeds of cyberpunk. Uh, Bruce Sterling lives there. And oh, all that. Does that have anything to do with the fact that that is also one of the like startup tech bubbles I, in the States I think now? it's all related. Yeah. And I called him up and I said, you bastard, why didn't you make me read this earlier? And he said, 
I haven't read it yet. And I said, stop whatever you're doing. I'm imagining like fill in mental image of Mike now. shaking the person, right. you know, by, yeah. by the collar. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> so that was my first reaction. My second reaction was, I need to build this immediately. Ooh. And then my third reaction was, I bet somebody else has had this idea. Yeah. So in, you know, I'm going to look it up. And sure enough, I discovered that VRML... Uh, which is like a very early, it stands for virtual virtual reality markup language, oh. was a thing that people were coming up with. It was basically mm-hmm. like the 3D virtual reality version of HTML. Yeah. And sure enough, one of the very, very early things that people tried to build was called the Black Sun, which was this place that was featured inside of Snow Crash. Yes. Okay. That Because that is the metaverse in Snow yeah. Crash. Right. Uh, or it's a bar in the metaverse or... or I think it's a bar. It's oh, a bar okay. in the metaverse. And then there's this thing called the street, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So so the point is basically ever since that point, there's been a part of my brain, an ever increasingly large part of my brain that has been <laughs> trying to architect the metaverse or become a part of, be, of the, uh, you know, be, be one of the architects of the metaverse. Yeah. And that is actually, I would say... What I mean, ever since I've been trying to do that, and yeah. and, I, and being a part of alt space was part of that journey. Yeah. Um, and what I'm working on right now is a part of that journey, which is about how do we invite more people to mm-hmm. live in virtual and augmented reality, mm-hmm. and how do we get them to think about either the space that they're in, which is a real space, or some completely replaced version of that. All of those things yeah. belong in the metaverse. And um, and I think that it's a great place to live mm-hmm. because it's a place where you have superpowers. And that's, by the way, superpowers, I mean, relative to what you have right now. So if yeah. you are a quote unquote normal, normal person, then it gives you abilities that you just otherwise wouldn't have. But that extends all the way to across a wide range of abilities. And so I imagine like that the metaverse is a place where that, that, this is the second time of using this metaphor, but where the playing field is leveled. Okay. So independent of the circumstances in which you live, yeah. like whether you live in Palestine, in, you know, a kind of rough situation, uh, whether you were born with some sort of physical disability or mm-hmm. something like that, all of those things be, matter less and less in the metaverse that I want to see happen. Yeah, the the ultimate goal right. or potential. And so I think... It, I mean, I could I could kind of pause there and say I think that's part of the reason why the metaverse is so appealing is because it it kind of gets us closer to a meritocracy or yeah you know a place where everyone has a place and can fit in and at, can find compadres. At least you're not limited by like your your physical uh, world circumstances. Endowment. Right. Whether well, that's the thing that, that you the body that you live in, the state that you live in. Yeah. And I don't but, mean state like So I yeah. ha so I have to disagree there in the sense that like already there's there's limits to it depends on how it functions. Like right mm-hmm. now, it, okay, if it becomes a commodity to be able to get into the metaverse, mm-hmm. sure. But it's not right now. You yeah. have to have money. You have to have the right computing oh, yeah, power. Yeah. You have to have no. all of that stuff. So already it's not I was a meritocracy. Say, I think you're talking from a perspective of like everyone is able to access it at least. In the future, right? Yeah. So like 20 years ago, if you wanted, or 40 years ago, if you mm-hmm. wanted mobile, you wanted to make, be able to make a phone call from anywhere, you had to be very wealthy. Yeah. And now I don't know a lot of people who bother with landlines, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my point really, I'm not talking about the present. I'm talking about the future that I want to make happen. Right. Is the future where 
that technology becomes extremely accessible to a wide range of people. Yeah. And so the price has to come down. The social acceptability has to come down. A lot of things have to change. Right. But I'm just saying that's part of the reason why I want to, like, I I want to self-identify as a kind of architect of this. I I have in my mind a vision of what I think is the right thing, the morally correct thing to happen. And I want to, I want to sort of glide towards that and climb, claw my way to that, to that. I almost feel like if you think of it as if the ultimate goal is that with the technology and infrastructure that we have right now, imagine that everyone in the world has been endowed with that same sort of ability um, from a physical standpoint. Like we all have the same kind of data capabilities. Mm -hmm. Um, We all have the same kind of connection to the internet um, and those sorts of uh, benefits that are only endowed upon a more limited group now we're still at the root level limited by like our physical endowment, like whatever you are capable of as a person, Mm -hmm. not the infrastructure that is limited to some population. So then if you layer upon that, the metaverse, you layer upon that as a sort of digital uh, fantasy environment, essentially where you can do anything, then you can kind of choose to occupy whatever type of role and set of abilities that you want. I mean, I think that's the ideal. Obviously that's not, the immediate thing we're going to yeah, get to. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> as long as we do better than what we started with, yeah. we can declare a certain amount of success. But I think in order to get to even that level of success, you have to imagine the perfect world and, or, you know. Like, you need, you need to know the goal. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> so, well, okay, I have a specific question related to that, but mm-hmm. I do think we should step back before mm-hmm. we move yeah. forward. Okay. And actually explain what the metaverse is. Yeah. And I know that's going to be boring for people who are listening from the industry, but like yeah. we got to do it because we got to get people outside of the industry in. Yeah. I think the best way to start is from Snow Crash. What did the metaverse look like in Snow Crash? Because that's what that's what ultimately inspired the vision yeah. of the metaverse. Right. right. So with apologies to my very, very best friend, Neil Stevenson, <laughs> uh, I haven't read Snow Crash since like the mid nineties. Okay. I read it recently ish, but couldn't help you. I mean, well, I can maybe I'll tell you what I remember. And yeah. that might in some sense be, uh, I don't want to say better. Cause I, I just mean better for the purposes of the, of this, yeah, you know, interview, mm-hmm. which is basically, it is a, it is a place in virtual reality, um, which means, you know, you, you put on some kind of headset, some, some sort of display that replaces the, the physical world that you're in, with a virtual world and you're able to walk around and interact with other people and specifically with their avatars, which means their, their embodiment in this virtual world. So you get to pick what your avatar looks like Mm -hmm. and you get to have, you get to transact business and all that kind of stuff. And so one of the things that was like a key element of, of the metaverse was the fidelity with which your physical body uh, and it's like your facial expressions, your tone of voice, your body language mm-hmm. was conveyed through your avatar. And one of the points that is made is that there's a particular character in the book who was responsible for the finesse and the the nuance of your facial expressions and how they were oh. conveyed from your physical body to your avatar. Uh, this ended up being a key point in the in the way in the adoption of the metaverse by business people who were who were wanting to do transactions that previously they would have only done in person face to face. Yeah. Because nonverbal cues are such a 
key element of their business transaction. They needed that high fidelity of body language. Super high fidelity, right. So that was one of the things that kind of stuck with me because I felt like I wanted to get into character animation, which I eventually did at one point. Um, And so the point really is that the metaverse was just another place Mm -hmm. that people could go. It happened to be not a physical place, but a virtual place. And it's like... It's an actual world, meaning I think obviously the term metaverse is a play on the word universe. Mm-hmm. So it's like everything exists in the way that we know it. It just exists virtually. There are, like we talked about earlier, there mm-hmm. is a bar and then outside of that bar there are streets and there are houses. It's an and entire there are like, city. Plots right. of land and right. there's, um, and then I think I'm switching books now uh, to, <laughs> what was uh, Ready Player One. Yeah, Ready yeah. Player One. In that one there were different like planets, right? Right? Uh, that sounds right. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Anyways, you get the idea. Hopefully we've explained enough. Let's yeah. keep moving. Okay. The entire virtual world. Right. So coming back to my question, since you have since you have this optimistic view and you and you want specifically to to have a part in creating a meritocracy. And since we've been rewatching Deadwood. <laughs> so how does it differ from the Wild West? I mean, ultimately, do we think that the Wild West became a meritocracy, really? Uh, or or how do we avoid the same problems that we have today when we have fi- a new a new world to go to? I mean, you could liken it to what happens when we land on new planets and and declare land there. I mean, this is going to, you know, it's all in the same vein, mm-hmm. right? So so what do you think about that? I don't know where we're, we'll eventually end up. By the way, Deadwood I think was pretty far from a meritocracy because it was it was pretty obviously you know, male dominated, mm-hmm. like the way that women are treated in that show is, is reprehensible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they're like, that's just the beginning, right? Like there's right. so many other versions of racism and right. sexism and blah, yeah. blah, blah. Um, but, uh, where was I going with that? Well, so, uh, let me take a little bit of a detour and describe. So there okay. are, are a few different social VR applications. Altspace was one. We've talked about that. And yeah. then there's VR chat, Rec Room, there are a few others. Mm -hmm. There are a few that actually existed before virtual reality became sort of widespread, including a place called There and a place Mm -hmm. called Second Life. Yeah, And um, Second Life has a virtual reality, like the people who made Second Life built a thing called High Fidelity, Uh uh, which is the intent is to be the sort of VR version of sort of the spiritual successor to, to second life. life, So the point is that there are a lot of stabs at this concept of like something like, like people, this is where the journalists come in and say, yeah, this is the new metaverse or whatever. And one of the things that differentiates between all these different things, not the only thing, but one of the things that differentiates between them is the extent to which the community is harmonious. Mm -hmm. And so for example, VR chat, last I checked, was one of the most popular of these kinds of, you know, social VR type places. Mm -hmm. And the reason was actually kind of like the reason why a train wreck is popular because you want (laughs) to see things go horribly, horribly wrong. People have this kind of like morbid curiosity towards disaster. Yeah. And VR was exactly that. It was like uh, last... Um, not last Christmas, but the one before that, mm-hmm. there was this horribly bizarre thing where this character called Uganda Knuckles, <laughs> which is this tiny little character from, um, uh, uh, I can't remember the game name right now, but um, this tiny little red character would run around and people would speak in this weird accent and say, do you know the way? 
do no de way. And they would go and harass people. But I mean, like, do huh. no de way. And it caught on for some weird reason. And I think what? it was because of some Twitch streamer who, yeah. who went in to watch VR chat and mm. happened to catch this thing. And it caught on in this kind of viral way. And VR chat was flooded with instances of Uganda Knuckles. And like you'd walk in there and they're really tiny mm-hmm. and your avatar is like normal size. And so they'd be like looking up and like if you're a female character wearing a skirt, they'd be oh, looking up yeah. your skirt. And they would like do this thing where they would make this sound like they were hawking up a loogie and spitting it on you Whoa. and then saying like curse words at you and so, and so on. Yeah. And it was just like a mess. Yeah. It was a total was mess. Like an extreme example of like trolling right. uh, as far as it could go. By the way, it was Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh. Thank you. Okay. That's and, what it's that's what this character came from. Yeah, and then it's being knuckles. recreated. So right. somebody's yeah. like creating this avatar right. and they're in in that form, they're right. going around and, and ter- oddly enough, like people. dozens or hundreds of people occupying the same meaning like the same avatar is replicated over and over again. Yeah. And so those you are can all imagine, different people. All different people. Yeah. So you can imagine walking into a room or a building and it's sort of infested by these tiny little red characters who are insulting you in a weird accent. Right. Uh, and that was okay. VR chat for yeah. Christmas season right. 2017, 20, yeah. 2017, I want to say. <laughs> That's so weird. And I get and, why it's popular because, like, you know, I went to junior high and high school. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's bizarre. <laughs> it's like <laughs> super weird. And so, so where Altspace, Altspace kind of went through a phase. It never got to, to be quite so viral, mm-hmm. but it went through a phase where things kind of were, were dark. And so they focused yeah. a lot on community, uh, you know, I don't want to say management because that sounds like you're being managed. But what I mean is like, you know, it's making the community. the right behaviors. Yeah. yeah. And so coming back to like, what are the steps towards a meritocracy? Uh, it has something to do with that ingredient. And I think that there's like, you've got to find a way to scale it. And I've thought right. of coming back to AI. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, much like you can sort of like or unlike things, uh, mm-hmm. thumbs up and thumbs down things like in Reddit. Mm-hmm. I think that if enough people get that kind of upvote, downvote thing, you don't want to take that at face value, but you want to use it as an input to correlate with like, okay, this person is getting a lot of, we're getting a lot of signal that this yeah. person is upsetting people. Mm-hmm. Right. That's one signal. Now, maybe they're saying upsetting things because they're telling the truth when everybody else is telling lies. Yeah, I was going to say there's different situations where you would not necessarily want to always. Right. But it could be something. because they always draw like a penis in the air every time, yeah. you know, they're just like polluting the world with, you know, artificial penises. In TTP, fact, time to penis. Time to we penis. learned about that, oh, yeah, episode that one. That's right. <laughs> so we're very metrics driven. And so my point is I, I have, again, optimism that we can harvest or exploit AI to help identify people who are problematic. Now that, yeah. like, that like everything else can go horribly wrong because mm-hmm. they think that you can end up, you know, in these little bubbles of like, you know, call them echo chambers or whatever, yeah. where the thing that is least offensive to you is the thing, you know, it's not necessarily healthy to be around the things that are least offensive to you. Yeah. So I think there's an interesting line to be drawn about like, what's the difference between you know, uh, basic, um, uninteresting, you know, trolling people Mm -hmm. versus actually inciting them to think differently. 
Right. And I don't think that's at all obvious. But it's I do not, know I was yeah. going to say that it seems like a this is like a sociology and like philosophical, like ethical problem mm-hmm. <laughs> that we need more help from those kinds of people right. in the industry and the groups that are building these things because right. they're not they're not necessarily clear cut answers right. for uh, what kind of art is actually like creating a useful dialogue mm-hmm. that maybe makes people uncomfortable, but it's something that people kind of need to see in order to think more about a particular issue or problem. Right. Yeah. So, but coming back to like, what would it take to, to make the meritocracy happen? I think it's actually not too different than the kinds of things that happen right now in very large corporations where they're trying to create meritocracies. Right. Mm-hmm. And it has to do with things like educating people about their unconscious biases mm-hmm. and, you know, having people think about other people's perspectives and all that. Mm-hmm. So meaning, I don't think that, I don't think that it is drastically different than the problem that we faced as, you know, human beings for all of eternity. Yeah. I think it's just a new medium for interaction. And so right. it's really a question of how does that manifest in that new medium? Right. Yeah. So when you first started talking about that, creating meritocracy, I'm thinking essentially what I said, which is like, what is the difference between this, this, opportunity and every other opportunity we've had for change yeah but and and just the fact that it's virtual reality augmented reality whatever it is i think is based on what you're saying actually has kind of nothing to do with it the the difference is that it's creating a a new place to start over so that could have going Mm -hmm. back to the wild west analogy happened then right so it's not really about the place or the thing that creates the place, like whether that's real land, virtual land, whatever. Yeah. It's about coming back to the zeitgeist. It's the zeitgeist at the time. It's the people who are creating it. And the thing that excites me so much about about this industry, really, and, and what I noticed actually just going to OC6, like this, you know, past October or whatever. Mm-hmm. So... And I was telling you about this, Jay. I noticed that whether it's tokenism or not, there were so many more females and so many more like races and mixed race and whatever it is. I mean, I know that. And the reason I even mentioned tokenism is like, I mean, I actually say that in almost a good way or like affirmative action, meaning Mm -hmm. like I think that people are getting yelled at and they're hearing something and they're forcing people into positions, meaning like it could be somebody encouraging more people. Yeah. They're encouraging more people into positions. And, and like one way, I mean, you could, you could say that maybe there's, there were so many women on the, on the panels and everything that my guess is that there were some men or like white people, you know, white men who might've even been better positioned in some cases for that position, but they're like putting these people out there. And I think yeah. that's amazing. Like I'm actually in super support of that, whether yeah. or not, like no matter what. So I don't even mean to get into too much of a gray well, area there, but I I noticed it. Like I noticed the difference in the mm-hmm. atmosphere and I noticed what was happening and I have before that been so excited about like, wow, this is a place where women can actually have a part in a tech technology focused industry, which they never had a chance to be that way before. And so it's just like a timing thing. And it's all about 
how how we do it with that timing, not necessarily like where we're going and, and where we're where we're plotting our land. Right. It's mm-hmm. just about the people behind creating it. Right. right. Oh, I get it now. Um, and I think that I misunderstood your point about Deadwood. I was confused. I think what you were maybe what you were saying was in the setting of Deadwood, people had an opportunity to start over and they ended up making kind of a mess. Totally. Mm. Like it was disgusting and they and they relied on and I think we're actually seeing that like we hear about it in alt space and and in other areas where there is no law. And this right. is very related to Deadwood. By the way, sorry, anyone who doesn't know what Deadwood is, it's I a, don't know. Okay, sorry. Deadwood it's is. an HBO <laughs> sh- it's an HBO show about pioneers go, moving west oh, for the gold rush, right. okay? Yeah, and it's and it's to a large extent uh like it's, it's historically I don't want to say accurate. It is based on his things that actually happened and people who are actually around. Some yeah. of right. whom were very famous. Right. So historical not fiction. yeah. Uh, historical sort fiction. Of. Yeah. Yeah. I would call yeah. it historical yes. fiction. Okay. Yeah. Um. And and very heavily like historical meaning because Jay and I were talking about like the difference <laughs> between all of these things. Meaning like the characters are actually real people, but like not all of the characters are real people. Yeah, and yeah. so, and yeah, so basically, yes, historical fiction. It's Heavily same, influenced like, by real. Right. So real let me take another stab at it then. Cause okay. I think that if coming back to, okay, then what's different about the metaverse? I think that there are a couple of differences. One of them is that your physical capabilities will matter slightly less is, is my hope. And I think that there's truth to it already, mm-hmm. but I think that in the, in going forward, that will become increasingly true in the sense that whether or not you are like, for example, I'm going to take an extreme example just to illustrate, but if you can't move your legs, that mm-hmm. matters less in the metaverse in a virtual yeah. environment than it would in the real world. And then similarly for other, you know, other, other motor functions, or- but also similarly, your gender can be masked or changed or made neutral or mm-hmm. turned into a robot mm-hmm. or whatever. And so that levels that playing field. And like, yeah. here's an example where we know that that helped, that made the world better, which is, and pardon me for, I don't remember where I learned this. It was probably from a Malcolm Gladwell book or something, but um, where the old way of auditioning for symphony orchestras was that you played your instrument in front of a panel of judges. Mm-hmm. And then at one point, somebody had the idea of, let's put a screen between the player and the judges. Mm-hmm. And suddenly and drastically, the ratio of women to men went up. Oh, So very, very obviously a before yeah. and after effect. <laughs> right. That like making the the identity of the person anonymous leveled yeah. that particular playing field, Yeah, mm-hmm. right? And so my point is that would be an example of where the metaverse would be different right. than a Deadwood scenario. Uh-huh. Uh, I think there are others. Another one would be, uh, this comes from a personal experience that I had inside of Altspace. Mm-hmm. I was wandering around, just kind of hanging out with people, and I ran across a person and uh, I could tell by her voice that it was a female. That's yeah. beside the point. Uh, I think it's beside the point, okay. uh, but it might not be, which is that like I I was having a conversation. This I think was in the early afternoon or late afternoon, Redmond time. And she had this interesting accent. And so we were chatting for a while and I said, where are you from? And she said, Palestine. And I'm like, oh, you're oh. from Palestine. So where do you live right now? And she's, no, I, I'm in Palestine right now. Oh. And so I was like, what time is it in Palestine? And, you know, again, this is, I don't remember the exact, but it was like two in the morning or some odd hour like that. And I was like, well, why are you awake right now? She said, so that I could be in alt space 
when everybody else is. And so the yeah. point is that like, and I, you know, like the conversation went on from there and, you know, I mean, in case this like podcast lives for decades past the point where the, the strife in Palestine is not obvious, it is not a place where like that is, that is a, that is a, Hopefully. that is a place where people struggle, right? Yeah. Like right now. And, and so she, she's living there. Mm-hmm. And so this was her way of participating in a, in a world where like her, her physical world is like ripped apart. Yeah. Right. So this is like an escape. Well, I, I think setting? it's, it, I don't like the thing that I, I, yes, it is. I think that's a fair um, characterization, but I don't want to say escape because here's the point in the metaverse. It's not the escape. It's just the destination in, in, in my head, right. In, mm-hmm. in the ideal version of the, the <laughs> outcome that I yeah. want to have. It's not a place where you go to forget. About it's the a, real world. Yeah. Right. It's the, it's the place where you go to live your life mm-hmm. and it's a better life than you would have had if you didn't have the option of of moving physically away from where you are. Yeah. And so like, for example, I'm imagining if she wants to become an information worker uh-huh. and live in Palestine and she wants to live, be an information worker, you know, that is a peer of mine. I live in Redmond. She lives in Palestine. Yeah. In the metaverse, that would be possible. I mean, it's a fancy way of saying it's telecommuting. Yeah. But I, I think it, it I, another way of thinking about it is it makes telecommuting much more important along axes that normally you couldn't do through other means, meaning like nonverbal communication becomes more feasible. Mm-hmm. It it makes the sense of presence more intense. These whole what? elements of working remote that don't exist right now. Right. Because we're, you have I think Skype calls, basically. It comes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is like the the what's sorry, I'm missing the word that I'm looking for. Like the the um what's the opposite of like evolution? Like de, the de, devolving devolution? Devolution? De- is that a word? De- devolving. I don't know. The, 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 <laughs> yes. It's the, it's the, now a word. Devolution. Okay. Devolution. So, devolution. The okay, so it's yeah. like the devolution <laughs> of nations, right? Because right. because if we start if if telecommuting really becomes that accessible, right. then then what are "Quote unquote borderlines right. anymore." Right. Well, and this is just referencing to Snow Crash specifically, right. um, but also a realistic possibility and something that I'm also really concerned about is um, nations or nation states basically may not necessarily be as important uh, of distinctions. But then you have all these other subgroups and categories that people end up getting broken into, and one of them that seems to be really forming strongly right now. Um, is corporations, and that is something that's mentioned a lot in Snow Crash. Oh, like um, it's owned by corporations, like that. Yeah, those will become like, the new nations because they're the ones building. Like they have so much more power than governments, space. perhaps. Um, <laughs> even if you want to still talk about nations, there is the problem of the growing fragmentation of the internet as like a a networked single body of information. Like that doesn't. It's not actually that way um, on many levels when you go to different countries, right? Like. China, for instance, has a very specific catered uh, planet of information that is available to people within their country. Um, if you're They're not- very good at curating facts. Yes. <laughs> China? China, yeah. yeah. Well, I don't get it. They have this, there's this thing called the Great Firewall of China. <laughs> I'm, and they, they're sort of known for 
being selective about what information comes oh, in. Oh, it's just a giant I get it. Filter okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you were being sarcastic. Yeah. They're great at curating information. Very good at selectively filtering all information that I, comes you're right, in. You're no, right. I'm not, okay, I'm not, not being sarcastic. Okay, I'm just saying Whatever. that like they've, <laughs> they've succeeded wildly at that yeah. particular skill. Okay. Yeah, all which right. is is crazy because it basically means that they're, everyone that lives in that country has a very limited and selected curated view of the world of you know, the internet. You know, a, a snarky person might say that Facebook is doing exactly the same yeah. thing. Yeah, I mean, our own filter bubbles oh, are doing this for us right. through social media, which like this is a, a, a problem right. on many levels, but it it's definitely an issue on, on the individual level. And it's something that I feel like could become more pronounced and exaggerated as we further integrate a, a metaverse with our existing you're saying that it'll get worse it it could why um well because you're basically taking it off of a monitor and integrating it with the world like if so if so we've been talking about the metaverse from the perspective of snow crash which in that setting and i've only recently started this book um it is a separate space right I mean, yeah. obviously, there's lots of like augmented reality interfaces in that story, but the metaverse is specifically separate. Whereas in our near future, it seems very much like you're going to have the metaverse also being the sort of integrated overlay of the real world. For augmented reality, yeah. 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 In the context of augmented reality. And so you're taking all of this selected, curated, filtered information that is only in. Uh, phone screens or computer monitors right now, and we're basically overlaying those I same see. kinds of biases. Okay, I think with I'm tracking. World. So what you're saying is, and I think this relates all the way back to us talking about some of our brain muscles yeah. devolving. Um, <laughs> so, so if so, if we are v- become very reliant on this information that's presented to us in a virtual world or an uh, an augmented reality world, mm. uh, we're basically just relying on that. We're thinking like, okay, this is fact, quote unquote fact. And so, and that's being presented to us constantly. And so our entire understanding of the world is going to be curated by potentially, uh, um, you know, large corporations. Well, that information is not becoming any less integrated with our view of the everyday world that we interact with. Like that is only going to become more of a closely tied connection between like the internet where everyone absorbs their mm-hmm. their facts mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the real world that mm-hmm. they move through and so like what is our way of like what okay <laughs> yeah, it's like that yeah, versus that's... what like what do we what do we do about all of this fact curation So Jay and I felt like we mentioned this in the beginning we wanted to do something a little bit different with this episode yeah. um and I think Largely because we just covered so many topics in a short amount of time. And that's only just part one. There is a whole part two, second half of this episode. Hopefully you've been kind of like hooked into the conversation thus far. Yeah. That we've dug into lots of different interesting topics. And these things are only going to expand as we go forward with Mike. So Right. So we thought like this is a good opportunity. We're going to break it up into two. Take a pause. Yeah. Take a pause. Take a breather. And we thought it might be helpful for some of you to do a recap of what you just heard. And because it's Jay and I, we also want to add some color commentary. Thoughts on thoughts. Thoughts on thoughts (laughs) on thoughts. Okay. 
Uh, so, so just like starting with how did this episode even start, which was Mike really dives quickly into what is the use of AR. Yeah. Uh, and so in that he starts talking about like one of the biggest benefits or what he thinks a use could be is actually giving us attention back um, rather than like having our nose be stuck in our phones or something. So basically that it would be helpful to us, like help us be less distracted. Yeah. And I think a big part of what, why we kind of got into that is just because there's always this sort of misconception or just lack of awareness of what AR even means. Right. Um, like you can say augmented reality, but like what is it actually worth to people? Like what kinds of contexts can it be helpful? And where will we kind of start to see those use cases arise? Yep. And that's why we like dig into to like the the Google Maps type thing where you're basically being guided in real life um, as you're driving around, but in a way that's not disruptively distracting, which is kind of the tricky part. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think it is pretty interesting, like in that example, I mean, we're used to our phones almost getting in the way, like it's helpful, but it's also in the way. And this idea, it would just be that it's removing some of those barriers and making it so much a part of our lives that, for example, when you're walking around in the streets of a, a busy city, mm-hmm. you don't have your nose in your phone. It's actually helping guide you and help you through life. Yeah. I also love to use the example of a party and how, yeah. you know, like hanging out with your friends when you're playing games, you're uh, you're focused on the world around you like the game is there to to enhance your interactions with each other and that in life and in these parties you're 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 really just looking for an opportunity to an opportunity to enhance actual real life mm-hmm. um and that's what he's saying ar can also do for us rather than take us away from real life and take us away from interaction with each other yeah i think a lot of the the topics and sort of ideas that we get into there really um, circle around this whole idea that AR is something that can untether us from the frame of our phone. Yeah. Whereas every you have people walking around the street um, looking for a restaurant, and the Michael or the example that Mike brought up was using Yelp to try to find a restaurant in town. And like you have to pay attention to your phone that way and be completely oblivious of what's around you. But using something like AR to kind of take all of that information and overlay it onto the real world. untethers us from that framed device from being distracted from everything and ultimately can kind of help us be more engaged with the world around us and not not so distracted right i definitely liked that take on it i think it's refreshing to hear that rather than the dystopian view of just getting distracted by all the added information but that's yeah that's a whole other thing which i think we're also going to get into part of that in part two of the conversation Mm -hmm. um so given this whole mental model that Mike has around like it's going to assist us and enhance our real world, uh, he argues that approaching AR uh, like game design like we have historically could be a mistake. Uh, basically that if – so game in regular game design, you're typically towing that line between – being uh, excited and happy and bored and you don't Mm -hmm. want somebody overwhelmed and you don't want somebody bored. Um, But I think the risk that he's trying to talk about there is that if you're really trying to get someone to be excited and happy, you're, you are in fact distracting them. Yeah. Well, and games thus far um, with some exceptions that we'll bring up here shortly 
have been very much designed around a encapsulated experience. Um, unless we're getting back into topics like pervasive games, like we talked about with Evie in a previous episode. Um, they're very much an encapsulated experience that is meant to keep your attention, not make you too bored, but just tag you along enough that you continue to be engaged. Right. And if we translate that same sort of design pattern directly into AR, we run into all of these dangerous situations where you're no longer encapsulating somebody's experience. You are basically opening it up to the world around them. Um, the example that came up earlier while we were talking, even just prepping for this whole recording was, uh, was Pokemon Go, mm-hmm. um, which I feel like this always gets used, but it's such a good example. Mm-hmm. Even with Pokemon Go, everything that you do with it now is through a phone. You're looking through that framed screen. So you have a very still encapsulated experience. Um, and so, you know, the difference, but very easily between what is in that screen and in the game experience and what is around you and like the real world and real environmental dangers like cars in the street and whatnot. But if you were to just take Pokemon Go and just translate it directly into an AR headset, something that completely immerses your field of view, you have to consider a whole new slew of dangers and and things to to be uh, concerned about when designing for an AR experience. Right. Like I was saying, a kid running after uh, Ye- Pikachu and getting hit by a okay. car or yeah. something. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but but that's like, that's totally the kinds of things that would happen. Yeah. If you, if you just, definitely need to be aware of. Yeah, if we just did like a blind port. Oh of, my God. Yeah. Of Pokemon Go onto a HoloLens. I just thought of a new way of uh, hacking people or like creating a bug which is you make oh. people get distracted it's like you would direct them to follow something yeah. into a bad situation yep. or something like that or, oh. or like what if we're in a situation where people are like most of the traffic signals and things that you pay attention to while you're driving are virtual yeah and you hacked somebody's direction <gasps> system or even just no. the signals and stuff that they see in the streets oh my god to guide them somewhere completely different that's so crazy. And I also never thought about like, of of course, we could have totally digital traffic signals. Like, why not? Yeah. Then they would be way easier like to update, I'm sure. And things yeah, we, like, like that. we wouldn't have to literally like change out physical signs anymore. Yeah. Which would cost a lot less money. Yeah. You just like update a required update to your software. Yeah. So weird. <laughs> um, okay. Well, so one of the quotes I really liked that Mike used is he said, the reason why you want to augment reality is principally because you want to be in reality. And so I think that's fitting with everything we just said. Uh, However, there is that kind of uh, caveat, which is that's not actually always the case. And we find that with Pokemon Go, you're Mm -hmm. not, it's not that you want to be in reality. You actually just want to have, you want to have an experience that's magical and fantastical. And that's what it does is it brings these fantastical creatures into your real world. Yeah. Like you, well, you don't actually have to leave your reality to experience right. Pokemon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just, it's it's like if you step into VR, you're mentally accepting that you're exiting your world and entering a new one. Mm. Uh, it becomes which is your still, whole experience. Right. Which is still great and it still tricks the brain. But when you add things on top of the real world, I think there is definitely an appeal there of like, oh my God, like here's Harry Potter in my actual room. This is so crazy, you know. Um, a girl can dream. Uh, but <laughs> um, anyways, but that's actually, to, to just kind of close out on that, we, 
principally talk in this episode about augmented reality as the use of like assistance an enabler enabling people assisting them with helpful information and making our lives easier that way but i just want to make a plug that we didn't begin to cover all of the other uses of augmented reality and i think mike makes a good point which is that that's going to be like what drives ar forward yeah but there's other uses of ar and people in the industry are aware of them but just anybody who isn't as aware i mean entertainment like Mm -hmm. pokemon go for instance we we didn't even scratch the surface there with how it can be used for entertainment uh things like product design or or uh, yeah, like CAD architectural uh, right. renderings and that sort yep. of thing. Yeah, engineers use it all the time for that type of stuff. And also, um, you know, even uh, Amazon has that it now where you can place something in your room. Just to see what it looks like in your house. Yeah, just to see what it looks like in your house. So, I mean, those are just a few examples of ways it can yeah. be used that we really didn't get into. And that's going to be other stuff that we talk about in other episodes. Yeah, I, AR, I think, fundamentally is really interesting because it overlays onto the natural world, the natural reality, but it hasn't been as quick uh, to be adopted by a lot of people in the XR industry because it's not as direct of a translation from the video game experience that many of those people have into trying to craft some sort of pervasive experience over the real world. Video games are much more easily ported to VR and it's still not easy to do that. than it is to port a that same type of thinking and same type of like game gamified experience onto full pervasive reality. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So, anything else on that, Jay? Before we move on to like kind of the next topic that we got into? No, I think we uh, we started to get into moving forward where AR is headed, kind of like what right. the near term future and even like long term path. If you're if you're ignoring a lot of the sort of hardware constraints in the immediate future, the engineering problems that we will most likely eventually be able to overcome in one way or another, where are we kind of headed? Yeah. After that. Yeah, uh, and I think what we started with. So in order to think about where it's all headed. I love how Mike pointed out, well, we need to think about how it actually works. <laughs> and so for people who aren't as familiar, I mean, obviously, so AR is a matter of sensors. Um, and it is basically monitoring and listening mechanisms that can gather large amounts of information about us, uh, our environment, and what we're doing, what we're looking at, what we're saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's listening and it's looking, et cetera. Um, and there are various ways to do that, and it depends on the advice. Uh, sorry, it it depends on the device. Mm-hmm. In terms of like, it's not always doing all of those things. I mean, uh, there are some devices that they can claim are augmented reality, which is really just, um, for instance, actually the Bose glasses. Oh, yes. So they yeah. call those augmented reality glasses. <laughs> now, some people might kind of laugh at that. Uh, but largely the reason they do that, I believe, is because it, it understands where your head is and it gives you spatial sound. Yeah. I think a key component of just designing any sort of AR system seems to be that it needs to be more intelligent and aware of the environment around you. Right. right? Because you're not in a constructed, engineered space. You're in the real space. You're in reality or the natural world. So yeah. that device has to have more awareness than than traditionally uh, like construct or constructed or virtual sort of ecosystems would have been. Right. So something like that, Bo- the Bose AR glasses, like 
it needs to be able to uh, kind of adapt to your orientation in real time right. and then kind of uh, detect and predict what you're going to do next. Yeah. And then there's obviously something like the HoloLens where it actually has like surface reconstruction. We didn't get into this too much. Yeah. And honestly, we don't even get into <laughs> it in part two, which is so crazy. So there's going to be like, like a part to talk about it. <laughs> three, four, five, six with Michael Gourlay. I'm sure he can't wait. Um, <laughs> but so so surface reconstruction is like you're it can look at the surfaces around you like a table yeah. and put a mesh around that and understand that there's a table there. And then. There's lots of things it can do with that information. For one, um, you know, if you're overlaying stuff, maybe it's going to prevent you from hitting the table or walking into it. Yeah. Uh, but the, but that, you can also place things on the table mm-hmm. and and use it as a table, it, yeah. like holograms, I mean. Yeah, I guess at that base level, it's just it's creating a virtual representation for itself to be aware of your environment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so anyways, OK, so with all of that in mind um it's really just like learning about us constantly it's responding to that and then uh i really had a boston accent there responding 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 to the next thing you gotta (laughs) do (laughs) (laughs) what's your response to that kelly after a week in boston is what happens to me (laughs) and i anticipate okay so um I don't even know that's not Boston. But um, okay, so and and Mike was talking about like eventually it's going to be able to anticipate for yeah, us, which is where those sort of intelligent systems come in, and that's where like we've been making a lot of strides forward in recent decade or the recent decade um, in AI now, um, and so a lot of a lot of what he talks about is just how those technologies are really going to play into designing more um, integrated systems through AR. Right. Um, basically, we we even we start to get into a lot of like what assistants are going to look like eventually. When you have um, a sort of virtual persona, perhaps um, that can occupy many different aspects of your life, not in a way that would feel like it's invading on your privacy, because this thing's whole purpose, this entity, is essentially to be your personal secretary, friend, mentor, whatever you need. It's your own librarian, um, but something that is not serving some corporation or entity's needs. Right. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> well, it's like that movie, Her. Did you see that? Yeah. I yeah. mean, I love that movie so much. And if you haven't seen it, go see it. But uh, it's a great <laughs> movie. And it does talk about that essentially, like artificial intelligence yeah. and becoming, you know, having your own personal assistant and all of that is essentially to to be useful and to help you. Yeah. Um, and that that's what, what Mike is arguing is that, yes, what we see in AR right now is like all the holograms and things like this, but mm-hmm. really it's just a means to an end is yeah. his argument. Because of these listening mechanisms and understanding and learning from us, mm-hmm. it's really just finding a way that's going to integrate very, very closely to artificial intelligence and ultimately just get us to a place where that can integrate with us more so much to the point <laughs> that it might uh, be thinking for us. Um, hey, yeah, this was an interesting part of the conversation yeah. where we start to talk about how you can you can kind of see the lines between where you as a human separate from technology and that technology become a little bit blurred. Um, the 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 edges are kind of disappearing over time already as we are so tightly integrated with our devices at this point in time. I mean, like right now I'm literally wearing like a, 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 a sensor that is gathering heart rate data and all of this information about what I'm doing, feeding it into some sort of device that then allows me to just be aware of like, 
my body through basically a Fitbit or something. Um, and that is like a whole realm of self-conscientiousness and just self-awareness that wouldn't exist otherwise without right. that tech. But we can we kind of expanded forward on that into the realm of essentially uh, starting to substitute or augment or improve different aspects of ourselves through this technology even more directly. There's a book by Ray Kurzweil that I really like um, that kind of explores that space a little bit. In one regard, it's very focused on just how do we create artificial intelligence mm. um, and a number of different potential paths to that end. Um, but the the particular analogy that he that he makes that is pertinent to this conversation is our transition as humans from where we are now kind of in the most for most part physically separate from that technology to a point where eventually maybe we have AR contacts or eventually that uh, that augmented experience in and artificial intelligence is integrated into our brains. Um, in various different ways, whether that's a link or uh, embedded different chips or whatever. Um, but the Ray Kurzweil example um, came to mind during that conversation because he talks about how maybe the first real sort of like generally intelligent AI that we see is really just humans that have made the transition over to being fully uh, synthetic or artificial. Right. You know, you over time, you replace different pieces of yourself or improve. Maybe you're getting older and a part of your brain is starting to atrophy. So much like we do with people that have like Parkinson's, Parkinson's or, um, or uh, Alzheimer's now with these sort of like chips that can improve different aspects of thinking. Mm -hmm. It's not hard to, to see that in the near term future, we'll be doing that just to improve mental function and be able to continue to extend the lifespan until essentially your your conscious experience of being you doesn't stop at some point you just are basically a fully synthetic being right it's like in all <laughs> in all of the dystopian views it's the humans versus the machines but really will be the machines yeah that made me think about cosmetic surgery has been something where we've been able to enhance ourselves and our bodies mm -hmm. and so this is a new and different form of something like that where yeah. there's all these debates about like well, that's not fair or we, we don't respect somebody sometimes who's like, you know, enlarged yeah. in something yeah. or whatever. Or like the religious connotations that people often have problems with just augmenting your like, own your own visage, like what you were, your right. God-given yeah. uh, yeah. God body or endowment. Right. So and I feel like the future <laughs> war is going to be the human machines versus the naturalists or something. Yeah, the the, the extreme, well, just progressives that want to continue to just utilize our technology right. to improve ourselves versus people that are more tied into the traditional ethical view of yeah. we are what we are and no more. Where do you think you'll fall on that line? Oh, I definitely fall on the progressive side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I I think I have a lot of deep respect for for traditions in, in many regards, but I also like to question and revise and constantly uh push those boundaries yeah. even when it's with people that are like like I, I just went over home over the holidays i had lots of conversations um along some of these lines with my family yeah um which they're definitely not uh as progressive as i probably tend to be on that regard but mm. um i'll still i still have no problem sitting down and like explaining where all of those different things are coming from yeah and sort of that perspective yeah, I, I think that 
I will. That's all healthy too, right? That the yeah. the back and forth, uh, and I I hope that that always continues because if we all are just progressive, we might move forward without not really thinking about what we're doing. Yeah, and in this case, Con- cautiousness is important, right? Like our abilities to enhance our brain is amazing and also extremely scary, which is what we bring up. Like what happens when something else is thinking for you, and how different is that than? how we live day to day where we're like, yeah. is this thought my thought or is this pressure from somebody else? And yeah, like you have an, if you have an embedded AI right. that is helping you, at what point do you start to confuse right. the voice in your head that is your own voice versus the voice of some sort of assistant? Right. And we, we bring up drugs and I actually think that that's a really good example because drugs uh, make you rationalize things. So anyone, first of all, like any female who's been on birth control understands this, how it can affect their brain, their body, and they just like rationalize everything. It can make you depressed. And when you get depressed, you're not like, hey, I'm on the pill. This is why I'm depressed. You're like, oh my God, you're depressed. Like you're not thinking about the fact that you're on a drug. And that is the scary part about drugs. Oh, okay. You were saying that it rationalized. You are you? Do you mean it? It like it kind of takes away your ability to explain your brain the- rationalized. So okay, what I mean is that the drug affects you in positive and negative ways. Like no yeah. matter what, almost never is a drug just like fully positive, right? Yeah. It, it'll take away something. You you know we've talked about this with things like Adderall or something yeah. like that, right? Yeah. So, uh, but the problem is. When that drug takes over, it's altering the chemistry in your body and therefore you lose um, almost like a a perspective. And that perspective is that you don't realize that it is the drug doing that. Yeah. So you are rationalizing what you're thinking and you're thinking, I'm thinking that. You're not thinking the drug is making me think that way. Right. Because your brain is constantly rationalizing in in some regard that it's it's not even the conscious rationalization it's really just your brain is making sense of whatever all of these subconscious level and chemical uh level feedback from your body that it's getting yeah it's taking all of those inputs and basically saying like hey you're really depressed and right. you don't even as as a conscious like kelly self you you don't really have a good way to explain why the hell you feel like that other than you know that you're on a drug well Right. Yes, that's kind. Except that what I'm saying is that y- you f- almost forget that you're on a drug. Okay, oh, so like, oh, gotcha. so what I'm saying yeah. is that the, well, that is the scary that. part, right? So a really simple example is if you're on Adderall, you lose your appetite. Mm-hmm. Now you might start to think, "I'm just not hungry." Yeah, you're not thinking the that, Adderall yeah, is like making is, is making me lose my appetite. You're just thinking I'm not hungry or what. And so if you amplify that, you talk about other feelings like depression or something else. Yeah. Or voices that you're hearing. You're not like the drug is making me feel this way. You're saying I'm hearing voices. You and feel you what forget, you feel. <laughs> you feel what you feel. You forget that it's possible mm-hmm. that that is being driven by something else. Yeah. And I've been fortunate to have a nurse for a mother. So when I was on like birth control and got severely depressed, uh, my mom was able to be like, you are acting so different. What is going on? And her first thought was, what different drugs are you on right now? Like, what have you been taking? She wasn't rationalizing saying, hey, you're this way, which by the way, it can be our own body chemistry. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying it's always drugs. Yeah. But um, 
but if you have someone on it, it's um, what's scary is that it required somebody on the outside mm-hmm. to tell me like this is very different from your normal self. Do you remember your normal and, self? And bring your attention. This is very back different from it. that. Yeah. yeah. How about you try getting off those drugs and try you know what it feels like without that, or swapping yeah. it to try something different. And so the reason it relates back to that is I think all of this that integration with artificial intelligence, it's all like in some ways it, it's going to come in the form of a drug. It's all just altering our our insides and our perception of things and the scary part is the same as drugs which is will you lose control to the drug and forget that yourself outside of that and let it kind of take you over and not realize that hey maybe i need to separate from this thing and i'm gonna get back to normal when we were having that conversation um, it made me think of a there's there's a couple different places or mental cognitive spaces in which you could set some sort of AI yeah. like that. One which is more akin to like a drug or or any sort of underlying chemical influence that kind of changes a lot of these low level things in which you feel and affects your ability to even explain why you feel any of those ways or detect the difference. Um, it's like you could have an AI that is more of one of those like background voices that kind of unconsciously influences the things that you do. That to me is more scary. Mm. Um, I, I, I want to think that there might be a way to do it so that you have a conscious advisor. Mm. It's not that you suddenly just add a component or like a, a, a you mod you add a, this module into your brain that then just essentially changes the way that you behave all the time yeah because that's what something that is more akin to like the effect of a drug or a subconscious ai would be and instead you have a conscious advisor or or component that is basically saying like hey you know like i'm basically just i'm just saying that maybe you shouldn't be that way to that person Mm. like you and i both heard what they said to you and what you're about to say might not be the right response and it it almost you could almost make it feel more like it's just that that good voice in your head or like the helpful voice or the one that tells you to like hey maybe you should slow down it's the one you already have but maybe there's a way devil and the angel on your shoulder that's that's what i was thinking about the whole time we were having that conversation it's so fascinating. Oh, my God. I feel like we could, you know, the amount of uh, novels I feel like that could be written just thinking about that prospect of like if companies are owning those different things, like you can buy different personalities to be in your head. Yeah. And it's like, oh, do you need? Yeah. Like, oh. but that could be great. It's like, I need more confidence. And you have like a coach just being like, come on, girl, like you got this, you know, or something. But then you could also have like, <laughs> do it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> my, I mean, my brain immediately went to just if you're if you're able to buy different assistants or different assistants assistance then we're just right back to where we are now whereas the yeah, rich but, can well, buy a very that or helpful what? secretary or what the government decides what kind of a person you get no 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 the, this is this is i think one of the powers of uh of software in that Mach- like the learn machine learning and machine well yeah because it's all based on software it's all right. code at the lowest level um they're all algorithms um 
and and systems trained by your brain data and the experiences that you're having because if this is a sort of parallel system that is that is absorbing and tracking all of the information from your daily experience and coordinating with your calendar and the things that you need to do at work basically it's helping you do all the things that you already have to juggle on your own yeah and the intent would be to free up all those mental resources so that you can think about higher level stuff right it's yeah. like raise you on the maslow's hierarchy of needs right psychologically um i don't I, I don't see why we can't get to a point where you don't need to buy that from a company meaning that there are going to be different qualities that mm-hmm. you can buy it's more that it is a it's available to everyone because it is a software it's something that is I a sort of open sourced right. nevertheless system. i feel like even what's available would have some differentiation like it's not just one entity or person creating what's available yeah and so no matter what there will be some level of choice and probably personality and in, in what you can get what would it look like what will it look like when we get to a point where rather than just choosing what kind of clothes that you want to wear when you walk out of the house mm-hmm. on a particular day you literally people can can choose to have their entire persona be influenced by different types of characters. So essentially, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. It's just it's it's just like the music that you listen to and the clothes that you wear and right. the people you hang around. Yeah, this is another layer that will get added onto it's your. Like, today I want to be yeah. Lizzo. <laughs> have you seen? <laughs> you want to have like Lizzo's just Lizzo attitude and like be right. really spunky and like that's what you want to go do. Yeah, yeah. Because maybe, maybe like I don't know, you're going to a bunch of interviews that day, right? So you just exactly. want to channel that. There is actually. <laughs> There's so you're put a coach. A really funny f- couple of SNL skits with AD Bryant um, that people should look up, which is basically like she she gets this advice like, you know what, like just have the attitude of Lizzo, whatever, and then she <laughs> changes into Lizzo, and and the whole skit is about what it would actually be like to live yeah. your day your your day to day life with normal people acting like how we see her acting in music videos and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, they do the same thing with a couple of other famous people and it's actually hilarious. But yeah, basically it's like that's there's definitely a market for that. I mean, people I think in the same sense that there's a market for meditation apps and things that are like, what can help me get my head into a certain space? Yeah. And in the case of meditation, it's often like calming. Mm-hmm. But what about other spaces? Think about it almost as like the natural extension or progression from like self-help audiobooks yes yes and instead of just a static piece of content that someone wrote for a general audience this thing's whole job is to help you specifically yeah and it has access to all of the wisdom of collective humanity right (laughs) it's so crazy (laughs) i feel like yeah we could go so many places with that but we'll keep moving um but actually (laughs) on your note about like freeing up space so one of the topics we got on was brain atrophy Uh, and so like I like the way you phrased it, which is that it can free up space and by taking away certain tasks that you typically need to do, mm-hmm. so which enables you to do other things. Yeah. That being said, there's always a balance here with like those positive and negative. So the more we use Google Maps, the more we forget like if we don't have that, we don't know how the fuck to get around. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like research shows that you're that the navi- the part of your brain that handles navigation actually begins to atrophy the more people rely on a, right. a GPS system. Yeah. And I and I'm sure like I haven't done the research on it, but that whole thing we were talking about with writing and memory, mm-hmm. I'm very interested in that research actually because I am fascinated by memory and mm-hmm. also some I have a odd general cognition. Right. And like I, I think 
it is weird what we can remember and what we can't remember and all of that. And what of that can we improve? And what of that is uh, some, you know, just natural versus something that's happening because we've been relying on something like taking notes and writing. So yeah, much. like you maybe it's some aspect of your environment that perhaps if you change, you can have an effect on it right. versus what's just innately part of the way our brain is constructed. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, anyways, brain atrophy, that's a thing. <laughs> that which the, the example yeah. <laughs> I think that briefly came up in the conversation was Socrates and like how he never wrote down anything yeah. because he I was also I was reading up a little bit more on, on this. It seems like part of his approach on that or his thinking purportedly was that he didn't want to put in stone his dynamic thoughts. So he didn't want to write something down when essentially that writing, as soon as it's written down, will begin to rot. Um, Mm. And over time, it will become less accurate and and writing cannot defend itself, meaning that he cannot go back and in that writing and revise the things he said. people would be like, it is set in stone, sir. It's literally written in stone. That's how they they talked back then. (laughs) It's set in stone, sir. (laughs) There's nothing. The the English accent for some reason started that far back (laughs) in ancient Greece. (laughs) You cannot change your thoughts. There's also like anecdotes of his students being or um, and other students among the the Greek philosophers being admonished for um, for starting to rely too heavily on writing to uh, store their thoughts as like a substitute for a solid and, and strengthened memory right um because at that time it was still very valued to be able to to orate an entire epic or um or or narrative all from your memory yeah it makes me think that and it's related to what we were just talking about as well it's like well should there be mechanisms of like that you can turn things on and off or forced sessions let me explain. So like in the case of like somebody's talking to you and you have like this assistant, well mm-hmm. should should you be able to turn it off or should you be forced to from time to time? Like if we understand the risks of certain atrophying or something like that, uh yes, we understand that's helpful. Yes, we know it's opening up our our abilities to do mm-hmm. greater things, but at what risk and how deep is that risk? What if we could identify that and then set it up so that for instance when everyone started writing, there was, I mean, we did do that with school. There's like, hey, you can't, you, when you test, you can't look at your notes. Mm-hmm. So that was like some, somebody decided like so, that that yeah. was a thing. You know what I mean? Which is kind yeah. of funny. It's like, well, that's cheating, you know, but it's like, or it could just be testing the fact that I took my effing notes, you know? Yeah, that I was thorough. And yeah. And so there was a forced structure around you have to be able to remember this, memorize it. Like you can't just rely on your notes, mm-hmm. which is kind of funny because like in life we can. So what's the yeah, reason you're in for your job? That? Well, yeah. these days, I, this is I think this has been like a general overarching direction for industry and professional uh, just jobs and career in general. Yeah. So many of the sort of like knowledge work type jobs are more heavily relying on technologies and tools and being able to learn very quickly now, essentially like learning agility over the traditionally valued uh extensive expertise and knowledge from like a degree that you would then use that same material that you studied for a while for the rest of your life. And you would, you would continue to be an expert in that because things just weren't changing as fast. Mm. And now it's like you go through a a four year degree and even get a master's or a doctorate in something. And within 10 to 20 years, half of that knowledge is like completely obsolete. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Um, 
All right. So, what, <laughs> well, uh, oh, I had one more thought on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, in just how can and you were bringing up just the idea of uh, maybe toggling off or helping to essentially compensate for mm-hmm. what might be atrophying effects of all of these mental crutches. That's one way that you could view it. Um, or they, they are assistants or tools, essentially. Um, those, there's no, I don't think there's any reason that those same assistants or, uh, or AI or just complex systems in general that we build to help ourselves can't be aware of those atrophies and we can build in uh, mechanisms for them to help strengthen us, not mm. just... Yeah, they might even be better at finding our blind spots than we are yeah right those, those systems can we can make them in a way that they actually help us strengthen those weak areas rather than just doing everything for us and i think that's just a side effect of how quickly and early or how quickly the sort of like internet era and cell phones and all of that emerged and the fact that we're just a little bit behind in yeah. catching up with what is actually healthy integrated technology mm, yes yes it's like if your phone forced you to do meditation, you know, I think I was talking about this on a different (laughs) episode uh, where it's like I have a meditation app on my cell phone, which I use that helps me. It like has a session which teaches you how to have a better relationship with your phone Mm -hmm. and how to like meditate and not, and not uh, be so distracted by your technology. So I suppose it could be something like that. I think that the story was that you were in your closet and trying to (laughs) just become de overwhelmed or, or yeah, uh, over de-whelmed. De- underwhelmed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> devolowelmed. Let's just combine all the words. Yeah. Um, okay, so I feel like we we ended up getting into one of the next topics was really like the uh, a bit about the dystopian view, yeah. um, and so Mike is obviously he's a big fan of science fiction, and he's he enjoys like we talk about Neil Stevenson um, and. Other authors, he kind of prefers the idea that if you're going to paint a dystopian picture, then at least do it uh, in in a way that's like fully formed with yeah. all of the detail. Be thorough, do it justice. He's, he's very scathing of essentially like the journalistic practice of taking some sort of potential dystopian view and then just over-exaggerating it and leaping to the end worst conclusion, but doing no due diligence in kind of thoroughly exploring that scenario right. so that it's actually useful for anyone to say, well, how do we not do that? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess ultimately it comes down to like, well, if you're going to go into that much detail, you obviously have some sort of respect for the technology or the potential of it, right? Because you're yeah. going into that much detail. And obviously Neil Stevenson does because as we mentioned, he's been brought onto teams um, such as Magic Leap uh, mm-hmm. to, to help define that future and so he's not just knocking it and saying like okay like this is going to be the worst and let's uh you know let's avoid it he's actually saying he's done all this research he's really thought this through Mm -hmm. so how can he help change it for the better which is mike's argument it's like let's read this stuff and think about that dystopia in a way that's not just okay well there's nothing we can do about that and be upset about it or or try to avoid it Mm -hmm. it's using that information to really think critically about what can we do to avoid those pitfalls? Yeah. And I think the the whole sort of idea around science fiction or the the benefit from a societal perspective 
is that it's almost like having a somebody basically go on this deep daydream of an entire realm of thought and craft a whole world around one single type of problem or or domain of problems that we could run into um, and basically just thoroughly exploring that um, and experimenting doing one giant mental machination of what that would look like and then that gives people outside of that domain or people experimenting with the technology or or any uh, other sort of layman outside of that industry um, a window into what those worlds look like where we might go if we don't uh, you know, adjust our course and take measures to improve. Right. And so it's like one giant, uh, like evolutionary daydream that allows us to improve without the full danger of making that mistake in real life. Yeah, I love that. It's like it gives you a visualization. Whereas if, uh, and I get Mike's point, like I'm not knocking on journalism as much as he is, but um, <laughs> yeah. but I do think that what is the benefit of storytelling? Well, it mm -hmm. gives us a visualization of something, which in turn gives us a better understanding. And so when you're just journalizing like facts and, and figures and all of that and not really painting the picture very well. Yeah. Well, um, when it's just to grab attention and, yeah. and create outrage, like the general yeah, yeah. internet problem. Yeah, uh, you're just inciting um, yeah, strong emotions rather than... I mean, to be fair, you don't have the time. Like people aren't reading a novel of an article, right? You know, it's like yeah, they choose yeah. to read more so you have more space to have detail. Yeah. But anyway, so, okay, so Mike obviously really appreciates that. And we'll get into Snow Crash, which, um, again, coming back to Neil Stevenson, that was what inspired Mike. Um, but he obviously has an optimistic view. He thinks that good will prevail um, and that uh, and I guess he talks about having grown up in the Cold War and that's just being pumped to be alive so yeah yeah so that's why he has this optimistic view um, and I think that like that's really great and to his point it's like he's using something like Snow Crash it inspired him uh, he's using that dystopia to think about wow I'm thinking he's thinking in complex ways about all of the cool possibilities of it not just the negatives and then taking the negatives and putting a spin on that to say i want to be an architect of that world and i want to be somebody who helps define it for the better and who who helps avoid the pitfalls that this novel is is trying to warn us about yeah um but i do i i love his optimism i also feel like i am kind of an optimist but nevertheless um and i you know say this in the episode i just think that we have to also we do need to be careful about those assumptions because um, I think no matter what we're going to run into situations like I mean, today we have things like North Korea or something where people are shut off and that's a matter of borders uh, and those borders are going to change. Like, what does it mean to be a nation? What does it mean yeah. to be a, a certain grouping or a line of divide? And how does that impact the information that's presented to you or what you have access to um, and how data about you is used? And I think that like he's right to be optimistic. But even if you're in the case of his own story okay so he's in the u.s and mm -hmm. he ended up um coming out in in a positive space after the cold war right but that's he, he's from one country <laughs> we, he's we from got one lucky up, yeah. from our perspective right he's from one upbringing and so he would have a very different opinion and potentially not so optimistic if he lived in a different country yeah i would be very curious to hear the perspective of someone coming from china um and and having lived there underneath of the umbrella um, of a government where they do a lot of curation of information and essentially the entire population has one giant filter bubble on what they're able to be exposed to 
um, because they probably would have a very different view. If not, maybe they're still optimistic in a lot of ways. It's just what I want to know what that optimism would even look like um, yeah, from that, within a, that kind of government. Right. That that would be pretty interesting. Um, if only we could hop into VR and, and ask them. <laughs> I actually really have no actually, idea like what the deal is with VR in places like North Korea. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't imagine that people in North Korea would have too much access to VR, but China definitely does. Um, my The concern, I think, would be around, are you able to break through certain uh, firewalls that exist there and actually have access through social social environments to people in those in those spaces because i've a lot of those social environments might be curated to just people within china right um i don't know that you can can you go on rec room and actually i don't know i mean even with tv shows and stuff obviously it changes depending on what country you're in i'm literally like googling right now like vr in north korea i don't know what i would quickly come up with <laughs> like a picture. Like Korea, I don't really know. it's crazy because South Korea has one of the most advanced uh, network infrastructures in the world. Um, but right above that borderline, you have almost essentially darkness. Yeah. Um, as far as the the internet uh, connectivity goes. Um. Uh, in 2015, there was a 360 video called Inside North Korea. Oh. And if you look it up on ABC, I don't know. I haven't looked at it yet, but um, it says get inside. Somebody did this and they said, get inside secret of North Korea with this 360 degree virtual experience. Wow, that's kind of bizarre. I'm now very interested in watching that. I I know Um, that Vice did a documentary um, where they actually sent someone over uh, a while ago. And it might have been around like 2014, 2015 timeframe. Yeah. um, And went into North Korea. A lot of their experience, though, was just that sort of they were being kind of carted around to different facades and showy aspects. Right. Oh, I do. Yeah, I remember that. Well, anyways, there's apparently at least one um, because there's another thing called North Korea VR. And I don't know if that's the same thing. It must be. It must be. Um, But it's just like people have had articles about this over the past because that was in 2015. But there are some articles about it in 2017 so obviously it had some legs um and then there's the some stuff about uh so most of the news that comes up with googling that is you could can you can go see korea in vr yeah but not a ton of i mean you know at my extremely quick search about people using it like what the industry is like there there's one article that comes up quickly about like kim jong-un tries out virtual reality north korea tech really mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, and there's like a whole picture and stuff. So he's obviously trying it. So there's something there, you know. <laughs> At least I mean, in the house of Kim Jong Un. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think it's just like anything else. I mean, that stuff's going to exist, but it's going to be very limited based on you know with what people have access to and limited to what's created. I'm I'm generally in this particular area right now in life a little bit pessimistic um, when it comes to just the overall direction from a global perspective. Yeah where you have these pockets and nations that are very segmented. You have a what we think of as a global internet, but it's really divided into all of these fragments um, or splinters that are geographically uh, specific to different countries or they are specific to different uh, like metaverse platforms, um, whether you're talking about Altspace or Rec Room or High Fidelity. Um, all of those different ecosystems, whether it's a country's network or a particular social space in VR, um, there is there is this continuing concern of how do we 
how do we ever bring all of those different groups back together? Right. Um, like, is that even possible? Is there a form in which we can kind of start to unify things again? I mean, to a certain extent, it's not even useful mm. to try to do at a lower level. But from like a global perspective, this is more a, a matter of can we can something like a metaverse or layers of the metaverse even solve that problem? Yeah. You know, I I think that's a great question. And it makes me think about well, like, how do we currently solve that problem? Because we have the common public. You're born into a country. You belong to that country and the, or that you nation. You have a nationality. Or, right. You have a nationality. And then there are rules about that. There are rules about you going into other countries. Mm-hmm. There are rules about what you can or cannot do based on your own government. Um all of these things, and you're just kind of born into that. Like, we don't actually have a lot of choice. Uh, (laughs) About where we're born. (laughs) Well, I just mean, well, (laughs) I mean, I didn't get any choice about that part. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Maybe like advancements in technology, they'll be communicating with the fetuses. You get to ask your baby, like, where they want to be born. Yeah, I'm sure, like, somebody thinks that there's a way of communicating oh, that way. this is a crazy idea but if we ever figured out that reincarnation is a thing and we were able to construct a way so that you can say this is where i want to reincarnate next mm. and you do get to choose where you get born into on the next cycle oh <laughs> well yeah what do you have a choice in time in this you example ha- uh, in time yeah why, well, I guess why would it's you like not you're Sorry, that sounded like a dumb question. No, but I guess well, it no, no, it's on, not a dumb question. No, I'm I just sorry. mean like <laughs> you don't know when you're going to be reborn. Is it like am I being reborn in like 2020? Well, you know what I mean? Or am I being reborn <laughs> like in what in is you know in what how far in the future? Maybe you do. Oh gosh, this is like so entirely speculative in all <laughs> the regards because we would have to just for one assume that we can tell ourselves we can have some control over maybe where or which people Mm. we are born to yeah um but that would mean they'd have to be people that were already alive or Mm. you're able to be reborn anywhere in time which would mean i mean could you project yourself into a future time are you limited to what's already happened Mm. and then does time even work that way if you have any access to time you'd probably have access to future and past so right uh, that's a that's a huge rabbit, rabbit hole. Yeah, it is, and and my brain's blowing up a little bit because I keep thinking like, oh God, what would I choose? Yeah, you know, because like there's a part of me that's like I'd choose to be born in France, you know, <laughs> the place that you'd go on vacation, right? right now. Exactly. Or like, would I just choose? I think actually, I know this sounds. It's like I don't want this, but I do, which is that I would want to be born somewhere in the Middle East because I feel like. I would just want that perspective, having grown up in the era of like it, almost trying to like the world is uh, not the world. The U.S. was trying yeah. to breed like these like <laughs> anti feelings, you mm-hmm. know, um, we've love, been conditioned in some regard. To for that. sure. Yeah. Um, and I think I would just really love to have the complete opposite yeah. view of that. So from you as like contiguous Kelly, Mm -hmm. that makes sense. But in this situation, at least thus far, my assumption was you choose where you go next, but you don't get to remember what you did before. 
Right. See, that just sucks. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> what that's, that's what it is. No, <laughs> that's a reality. But then, like, who even cares? Like, I don't know. I wouldn't remember anything. I wouldn't know anything. <laughs> yeah. I you... guess if that's the case, then like, put me in Paris. Like, that sounds great. Well, yeah. Put just put me in the best possible situation yeah. ever. Yeah. Put me in Hawaii. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, okay. You... So, so well, yeah, to, to close that out, yeah, there is an awesome video that Kurzgesagt did. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that at all. Oh, correctly. I know what you're talking about. The Those egg. little YouTube videos. Yeah. Yeah. They did one called The Egg, and it's all about that as an idea. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they do some other cool stuff. I actually like watching those videos and just reading the comments because mm. people go oh, they're nuts so good. <laughs> in one way or the other. And mm. like he has to, uh, I think it's a guy, right? They're, it's, a whole, it's a whole company. Oh, right. Yeah. They're a whole right, studio. Right, right. Um, but they, I mean, there's uh, a narrator that does yeah. all the videos. They basically, this group does like animations. Can you spell it out for them? I, it's, 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 it's the German word for uh, concisely said. Oh, or shortly said. Okay. Um, and it's Kurzgesagt in a nutshell. That's the right. whole video channel. And they do all these very uh, concise and well-researched and as much as possible impartial uh, examinations of different, is- different issues. And that's one of those might be, is the UN useful? Right. Is it worthwhile? Should we keep the UN? Or like, how do you deal with nihilism? Or like yeah. existentialism. Oh my God, there's like, one. Okay, across. so it's spelled K-U-R-Z-G-E-S-A-G-T. In a nutshell is probably the easier thing to remember. But it's <laughs> um, but it's all these uh, amazing animations and YouTube videos. I think one of the ones that pops up just says, what are you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who am I? They're, they do shit like that. They'll do like, what are you? What is oh my time? God. Yes, the other one. Yeah, time. The history and future of everything. Yeah. Um, I want to watch that one. There's also <laughs> one that goes, can you trust Kira's Gazart videos? Yeah, I know. It's so good. I'm like, <laughs> the <laughs> that's one... the most amazing and like self-transparent, yeah, self-examining yeah. videos. Or really YouTube worth checking out. I think the one, the most recent one I watched had to do with... Um, like eating meat, maybe. Oh yeah, is yeah. It was just like, is meat healthy, basically? Right. Yeah. Um, um, and they, yeah. I mean, they didn't. They didn't lean super heavily on one side. Yeah, or they the were other. pretty, they just, pretty balanced, which made everyone angry. Because of course. Then yeah. Because everyone wants a clean, simple right, solution yeah. of yes, it's bad for you, or no, right. it's great and natural. Right. Anyways, um, well, did you <laughs> have an answer to where you want to be? Uh, reincarnated i would want to be reincarnated anywhere else in the universe if it were possible like not on the earth yeah because what if this reincarnation is not just humans Mm. if if there are any other intelligent beings out there ever in all of time and you have access to all why like why if you could do that if you could control where you get reincarnated next why would you only be limited limited to other humans in human time on earth well it depends on the game designer (laughs) (laughs) what did what did the intelligent designer do well yeah (laughs) yeah when he built this there's got to be some rules otherwise we could just do anything we wanted Uh, you know (laughs) Um, actually i feel like there should be if there is not a game that just allows you to like reincarnate many times and like unlocks, it's like it's like the the actual Buddhist thing. The whole point is that you'll mm. the idea the All ideal entities. is that you'll stop reincarnating. Like that's what yeah. you want to get at is that you are getting to get the out most enlightened person. And once you are actually enlightened, 
you don't live again. Yeah, so each you, life is just trying to enlighten yourself some more. Yeah, and it's like it's not even it's not necessarily that you're like you're you're gone. You just you kind of I guess the goal is to like become kind of aware of just the fundamental state of reality, which is not a state of heaven or hell or like eternal enjoyment or mm -hmm. or pain. It's it's just this sort of state of being. Right. Or and you're yeah. Which is and, not a localized human in any Right, regard. and not in your skin, in your body. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, my understanding of Buddhism at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Today. Um I feel like I won't live again because I feel super enlightened in this life. <laughs> I don't know how much more enlightened I could get. Yeah, you, you know, know I, I <laughs> I feel similarly. I think <laughs> probably uh, probably later in the cycle at this point. I feel like if I had a choice about what I would be, I want to be a cat because I just want to know like what is going on in their heads. <laughs> I've been trying to get my cat to learn just to like sit because they stand in front of my computer and I'm like just sit, just lay down, and they can't do that like a dog does it. They just get they so confused. To, yeah, they're like, "What are you talking about?" And then right, and then I try to like kind of push them gently down. I'm like, "You do this all the time. You lie yeah. down. Like I'm you just trying to sitting. get you to lie down. You love yeah. being lazy as hell." Right, and then they just <laughs> won't do it. I'm like, "What is going on in that brain right now? Like, what do you think I'm trying to get you to do? Yeah, you know what like, I mean? I'm I'm pushing downward on you. Yeah. Just just go down. <laughs> <laughs> do the thing." Uh, Anyways, okay. So well, this this is a bit of a segue into like more optimistic views, given because all of cats are there. Or... No, no, no. no. <laughs> Even though cats <laughs> are in it to rule the world eventually and yeah, become yeah. the ultimate master of the human race, right? Um, and and you know, countries and and the globe will will continue to be more and more fractured, and the splinter net uh, continues to evolve. There are things that we can do now to improve little problems that all contribute to these bigger issues. And this was like the next sort of phase of the conversation that we got into. Yes. And I guess you could make some sort of connection or analogy with like um, reincarnating Ooh. in the virtual world. Ooh, Ooh yes. you like that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> I think that, you know, we talked about, obviously, my kind of mostly optimistic view. We just mentioned some of the negative things. Um, but... Uh, can it give us the opportunity to really start over? Can it enable a meritocracy of sorts? And when we're reincarnated in this virtual world, uh, can we all be better people and live in a better world? Um, Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> I thought this was the optimistic section. Um, well, humans aren't going to change. Yeah. Well, just yet. But. What, right. Well, what Mike argues, again, thinking about like in summary of the of the episode. Um, <laughs> this is such a great summary. It's longer than the episode. Um, but uh, so he thinks like we'll have more control over our identity. Uh, we will have less reliance on physical endowment um, that we will get to start over and we will have this like a level playing field that we can live in that gets rid of some of these expectations that we have in the real mm -hmm. world. Um, I think there's something to that. Yeah. Obviously I mentioned in the episode, we get, we get to the fact that like, well, it's not a commodity yet um, until it's a commodity that can't happen. And I also, I didn't really say this, but I constantly think of it, which is like, I just don't believe that we can ever have a true meritocracy. I don't think yeah. that we can really start over fresh and have like a clean break because it's history. And even now it's like, yes, it will eventually become cheaper. More people will have access to it the same way the internet 
has become that way. But still, some it's people still, still not a commodity have, everywhere. Exactly, it's still not a commodity everywhere, and it makes a difference who has access to it first, yeah. who has the skills to build stuff, who has the education where they can build stuff in it. Um, you know, all of these things. It's like it depends on where you're from. It depends on what time you got involved. It depends on everything. Not to mention that yes, we may be able to change our physicality within within you know the metaverse and change who we are yeah but there are things like first of all that sucks that we would need to do that like hey i want to be male so that people don't treat me like a female like what is that fixing you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah basically just addressing the symptoms there of the the underlying problem i can just wear a mask all the time i'll just be a different person that's not so (laughs) emotional like repercussions that'll have you know um so i but the point is I think that he's right. So let's talk about like what's good about that. I mean, it's true that if I want to be so if if let's say I'm transgender or something like that and I want to identify as a female and um I'm male, well, I'll have a much easier time doing that in the virtual world than in the real world. Yeah, I'm not limited by that physical endowment that I was born with. Right. Yeah. Or that I grew up having been given by my family and culture and tendencies. Like maybe there is a part of me that is just innately curious about embodying a completely different uh, appearance online just because it's like an alternate ego or personality that I want to enable myself on. Right. And you can't do that in real life very easily. Yeah. But you totally can in a virtual space. Yeah. And and I think there are so many limits like that, whether it's that type of physical one or whether, I mean, we just talked about limited based on where you're born. And yeah. he gets that towards the end, like talking with someone from Palestine. Well, that's, they were born into that situation that they're in and into that strife. And suddenly there's like a platform where they can actually escape in some way and access Mm -hmm. the rest of the world that they definitely cannot do or at least can't do easily whatsoever in the real world yeah um so there are a lot of ways in which we are currently limited um whether that's something like that we should be able to do meaning like we should be able to travel outside of our countries um but we're limited based on governments or situations or like i mean real world constraints (laughs) yeah there's also limits that we have from the physics of the world like i don't know flying and stuff (laughs) like i can't go fly around i mean we can fly in planes but it's like i'm trying to think of i can't go to a certain uh you know well you just mentioned like being reincarnated into a totally different thing place that doesn't exist i sorry universe that it's not on earth right and so we can travel to places that we think that looks like or something like that Mm. i mean it really does uh take away so many of the limits that we currently have yeah there's a there's a finnish word that i love for this whole sort of desire or feeling that i'm pretty sure everyone's experienced in some regard or at at one time or another Mm. it's called heyareth um, and that is spelled. If, can you look this up real quick? I, I would have no or, idea where to start other than H. It's it's like H I R A E T H. H. Okay, hold on, hold on. So basically, the word describes that entire emotion and state of mind of missing or longing for a place that you've never been or that you may never be able to go. And so if you've ever, yeah, if you've ever had that feeling of like wanting to have, know what it was like to be a grandparent when they were really young in a completely different world, or you ever wanted to be in the setting of your favorite story growing yeah. up, 
it's that feeling of like there's a piece of you just kind of forever that is going to be lost because you'll never be able to reach that place or have that experience. Yeah, it says, I mean, you just nailed it. It says it's a hierarch. I'm not saying it the right way, but uh, is a Welsh concept of long. Welsh, not Finnish. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of okay. longing for home. It's a word which cannot be completely translated, meaning more than solely missing something or missing home. It implies the meaning of missing a time, an era, or a person, including homesickness for what may not exist any longer. Yeah. There is a word related to that. Uh, I might be tangenting too much, but um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I can't remember the word. Okay. Uh, maybe I'll be able to find it. But um, it's for missing somebody, even though they're right next to you. And I feel like that oh. there is something related there, you know, where yeah. you're like, what? Why are you even having those feelings? So um, we be, maybe it's like you you miss a place or a state of mind or the person that they were at some prior time. Yeah. Yeah, or or just that we're we're again limited by our language and communication and connection. I think you can like feel certain things or miss someone in some way. I don't know, like a memory or a potential, even though they're like right next to you. I don't know. I it's bizarre. Anyways, okay, yeah. wait. So why were you bringing that up? So I I just I really like that whole concept of hierath um, and that word because it describes. It's really something that these sort of like virtual worlds or augmented reality um, can enable and empower people to actually explore more of those curiosities and those longings. Like we, we aren't limited by exactly what we have right now in time and physical space. Yeah. Because we can create alternate worlds. We can create alternate spaces for Mm. ourselves um, just like we've been doing with so many other mediums like books and movies and right. paintings, yeah. art in some level is like an exploration of that. It's representing something that may not actually exist in that form just because you, you have to externalize it or do something to yeah. express it and get it out. Right. Okay. So, so many thoughts. One is that um, I'm going to bring up the topic of Little Women for just at least half an hour. Um, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So two, two things, hopefully I'll remember the second one, but the first is I was just rewatching the nineties version um, because a new version just came out in theaters now. Go see it. Um, But uh, there's a quote in there about because the the main character, Joe Marches, is a writer and she loves books. And she says something, I don't know if this is from the original Little Woman book, but she says something like, uh, there are some books that when you read them, they feel like coming home or being home. Yeah. And I think, <sighs> yeah, a lot of people could probably identify with that. And um, so to to add on to your point or to just like re restate what you just said, I mean, I think there is something to that and that that is what we can build is if somebody feels that way about a book well they can feel that way about a virtual world because it doesn't actually exist and we can bring it to life yeah and then related to that is um so i grew up watching all the little women like the 50s there's a 50 there's so many versions there's so many things about little women but anyways i grew up uh watching various versions i was obsessed with it um and then this new movie just came out And because like now I'm older and I can look and we have the internet, you Mm -hmm. know, I can look and be like, there are other people out there who are also obsessed with this book, right? (laughs) And obsessed with this story. Yeah, you don't Um, have to feel alone. Right. And I've actually never really talked to anyone besides my family about Little Women. 
it's not like that comes up in normal conversation. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And it's not like I don't not think Little Women is one of those table. ones that's like in required reading for school or something, <laughs> yeah. though it probably should be. But uh, <laughs> and so and what I love even more than Little Women is Jane Eyre. It's m- mm-hmm. my favorite book. And uh, and I've never really talked to anyone about that. And just last night I was uh, on Twitter I know that's shocking. Oh, um, first time. Yeah, I I like turned my <laughs> notifications back on and I was like, whoa, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> the overwhelming torrent of right. notifications. And yeah, so it's a blessing and a curse. But um, Miko, who's on an upcoming episode, she had retweeted somebody's thing that made a joke about like, hey, stay after in the credits mm. um, of of the Little Women in theaters, and you'll see Jane Eyre. <laughs> come out from the shadows and say like, I'm putting together a team. And so <laughs> I took that literally. I was like, oh yeah. my God, I'm so excited. And so I didn't read like all of the comments. I just looked at that one and I'm like, oh, you bet. I stay for credits anyways. I don't know. I'm weird yeah, like that. Yeah, I mean, I do that too. Yeah. Like, uh, like, respect the movie. people who put it together. Do you do it for like to see if they have any special content that comes out? No, totally. I mean, a lot of those movies now are doing that whole stay for the entire credits and then you get some sort of peek into the next right. part of the story. At the Which end. is good. I do it out of pure respect for the people putting this stuff together <laughs> genuinely i like actually yeah. read through and i try to think oh my god look at all these all people these on different... this team yeah <laughs> what are these different I'm sure teams they, they appreciate your uh <laughs> your contribution of um what's the word for that um solidarity, solidarity. or something yeah. i don't know yeah for the medium yeah uh well anyway so i actually stayed after and of course this was not an actual thing jane Eyre. there was no <laughs> concept of like putting a team together um but there is this popular like twitter feed about everyone commenting about that and like thinking about that team and like who from female literature would be on that team and (laughs) and what could that all look like and what would basically the female literature version of avengers look like right and so but there's like a whole i mean it was super popular and everyone's commenting on it that would be an amazing like fan fiction subreddit oh my god yeah (laughs) and so suddenly it's like i had no idea i went from like i'm so obsessed with jane Eyre. And I've never talked to anyone about that to like, oh, my God, look at all these people. They love Jane Eyre just as much as me. And they love Little Women just as much as me. And like they want to, you know, they're thinking about this type of yeah thing that they want to put together. You found a tribe. Yeah, I found a tribe. I found a home. Yeah. Um, And so the point is. Your higher earth was fulfilled. Right. Uh, But this is what, you know, we live in such a negative world right now in terms of like the internet and how we're all like uh you know having that those asymmetric comments lobbed out and um or uh asymmetric communication right right right. um i mean like the comment section because that's obviously the worst oh god of it all um (laughs) further down you go the worse it gets (laughs) (laughs) but uh like digging straight to the center of hell (laughs) yeah we can find connection we can find homes within this that we couldn't otherwise find or connect with and i think it's easy to kind of forget that and coming back to some of the more optimistic positive benefits of the metaverse and these worlds that we can build within it it's like we can find those connections uh even easier like there's just going to be more niche worlds there's just going to be more opportunities for us to connect with people and to find and to find people that make us feel like we're not alone you know We've already, I mean, through the internet that currently exists, we've already kind of gotten to the point through profiles where every person has a niche world, their own whole 
profile or in the metaverse, it kind of becomes your home space in whatever your chosen platform is. And like that becomes the the launching point for other people to actually be able to kind of jump into your personal psyche, like your personal uh, secret life of Kelly or Jay mm. in the metaverse. They can step into a physical space or like a memory palace of sorts um, and then actually go on journeys with you of things that you both enjoy. So it's like you, uh... you, <laughs> you take all of those parallels that are in the internet right now and then turn them into what feels like a physical, like another layer of a physical world. Yeah. And we've, we're just making that, that ability to connect with people across distances and, and, uh, and space and just making it more robust. Yeah. The flip side of that is the worst parts of the internet, right? Where you have trolling and you have the asynchronous communication problem and people feeling like they're talking to an idea across the computer rather than a human being on the other side. Right. Um, so like those are the areas where we can improve. Things developed so fast that uh, we we didn't really figure out good ways to create a constructive conversation between um, diverse parties on the internet yet and maybe that's like one of those areas in constructing this new medium where things can be improved because we have more tools that are disposable it's not or at our disposal it's not just a keyboard and a mouse and a computer screen we have expressions and we have the presence of avatars and everything to start creating healthier conversation yeah like you see the i mean mike brings up or somebody brought up at some point like that you you have nuanced expression especially in well in snow crash that yeah. was a big deal it's that you can actually see people's nuanced expressions mm -hmm. and how does that change when we can when we take away like we're we're this metaverse of the idea of it is taking the benefits of in-person interaction, like that familiarity and understanding and being able to see each other and the expression and all of that. Yeah. Um, and then it's also adding other enhancements to our communication potentially. Yeah. Oh gosh, I just had to, okay. So you know how thus far in history, all of our parenting has either come from, or like our mentoring in life from mm -hmm. the very beginning comes from either our parents and family or like our local community, whether that was a tribe extended family or it's the school that you grow up in yeah whatever it's other humans um but at some point when going back to we were talking about these sort of like integrated sort of ai systems or assistance yeah um you could if we if we want to get into different areas that that could use lots of improvement as far as interaction goes and social dynamics like um like unconscious bias and um like stereotyping and profiling and all of those kinds of problems that we just cognitively have issues with by nature of being human this these are areas of unhealthy interaction where we can actually we could we could build in like uh, training wheels, essentially, yeah. to help us have healthier interactions into those AI sort of guides, mentors, yeah. assistants. That's not just a human that has to tell you for a little bit and lecture right. you on the, the the negatives of your ways. So interesting. <laughs> it would be like in some ways it's deceiving because let's say like you have somebody who uh, isn't as good at reading emotions. Yeah. And then their little assistant would be like, uh, this person's super upset with you, FYI, you know, and yeah. then it would start keying them in on stuff that they don't otherwise know. Yeah. But then, like, you can imagine it would betray you. It's like, oh, this person's kind of in love with you. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> this person definitely has a crush on you. Oh, and, like, maybe things would have been fine if you didn't know. 
Yeah. Like or that, no, I mean, or, it's or, betraying the other person. Oh, oh, it's oh. reading my emotions too well or something. Like maybe it has oh. access in, into into things. I don't know. Layers uh, oh, yeah, of yeah, yeah. Like, it, like it's able to basically just say like, oh, hey, based off of all of these different factors and whatnot, yeah. here's something that you had no idea right. that they were exhibiting. It's very clear that this person likes you. Yeah. <laughs> and they're married. No. Um, <laughs> well, I just, yeah. I, I feel they're, like they're, they're fiddling could... with their, their ring finger, even though there's no ring there. Yeah, yeah. Like they normally would it's have like a ring It's like reading on. all this stuff and feeding us all this yeah i mean it's it could easily turn into be something like that you know that comes back well, to all the like data and information that we're like how much should it know about us well, you know like, and tell everyone yeah i mean i i am still i feel like me personally i'm still okay with the idea of that much help um and like enriched information and communicating yeah as long as it is built for me and it's not something that is taking all of that information and using it against me or to somehow exploit my information. Yeah. So like, I just don't see any future with those kinds of entities, um, tightly integrated with people and into the metaverse, um, that does not include that system for each person and not for some external entity, corporation, government, whatever. Mm, Yeah. Um, but ultimately, I would love to have a system that's able to like. But wouldn't you have to then build read. it yourself? Like, isn't it always no. from? No, I mean, they're they're. You just mean somebody's um, selling it and they're not owning the data. Like, I guess an example could be that somebody builds a really good uh, AI system to like help you and collect all this data. Mm-hmm. But that, well, I think it's going to be you. Ha- you would have to pay for your information. It's like because th- they can either make money, either they're going to. They be... would have to pay for my information. Well. Okay, that's a good perspective. But what I'm saying is, so they they have the option of either like selling to you, like you pay them for all of their work because you're like, I really want this software. Yeah. And. uh, Okay, you're paying for this product, which is an AI system. They have the opportunity to just go sell this to a big corporation who's then going to sell your data and they might get paid out better by the corporation than going direct to you. Yeah. So potentially they could up <laughs> their prices being like, you want your data secure. You don't want me to uh, like, you want us to be a, a company that can sustain Well, our prices have to be higher because we're trying to fight the corporations and keep your data safe. Unless they're just like really kind. I guess that's ultimately what it'll come to. It'll be people who are just anti, you know, they they believe in it's personal privacy. Yeah, I think I think it has to be like an open source and collective action sort of thing. Yeah. Um, there uh, like there yeah. are there yeah. are entities right now that are working on like uh personal identity and like data as a sort of profile that is attached to you and in a way that is decentralized and not exploitable or ownable. Yeah. By manipulatable by any external entity mm-hmm. and your only other parties are only able to interact with or use any of that information that ties it back to you if you enable them to like if you mm-hmm. basically say here i'm going to transact with this entity they want to market their shoes to me and i'm in the market to buy some shoes so yeah. i'm going to open up that channel of you know mm-hmm. here's all my particular history around shoes that i've liked before so start making recommendations I like that. You there's a conceivable set of incentives that could be built over time. Yeah. To flip the market from an attention market that it is now in the internet to instead be one that allows marketing agencies or or departments for any company yeah. to more accurately target 
the particular buyers that are ready to buy and want the thing that they have. Right. I guess it could be construed as it is a currently a seller's market. Yes. And and you're arguing for what does it look like in a buyer's market where we have those choices and we can dictate when uh, our information is used or not. Whereas now yeah. it's like we just really like using Facebook and mm-hmm. then they're all taking our data. I don't know. In a, in a way, I, I feel like this is almost a situation where you could get like you could get to a non-zero-sum game, mm-hmm. meaning that it's not that, that the, either the sellers or the buyers have to have the upper hand. Yeah. It's that it is mutually beneficial because sellers don't have to spend as much money marketing to exactly the people that already want to buy. Oh. You know, it's yeah. like it's built in that you immediately can find the people that want your thing. Right. And all of the recommendations. It's like you're wasting there. so much money on marketing to to non We're um, potentials. Right. right. Now. We just yeah. we just spray like marketing just sprays and prays across the internet. Sprays and prays. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just hopes that one of their ads happens to catch you after a visit to Amazon. <laughs> I'm never going to recover. <laughs> but it's, oh it's, it's very... <laughs> Hashtag spray and pray, people. Oh, God. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, no, God. That's, that's awesome. I know I um, ruined it. Um. <laughs> but yeah, Wait, we, like, we just we fire out like that, like just millions billions of ads constantly and hope that one person that wants that thing happens to see it at the right time and instead we could be converting this over in the long run to be completely flipped so that both parties are able to benefit from one individuals having control of like that information which i feel like is crucial in a in a ethically constructed metaverse um, where, yeah. you know, you have all these different dynamics we've been talking about from uh, like AI assistants that are integrated with all of your other pieces of software and calendars and tools and, and, and your social network. But like the thing has to be, it would have to be centralized to you. Otherwise, it can always be exploited by somebody else. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like that's actually a good segue into how we kind of ended the in conversation because a lot of what we were talking about is, okay, well, we have a fresh start for this new world. Yeah. How is that different from any other fresh start? You know, like why is this time it's going to be different for some reason where I made the comparison of going West, the wild West yeah. and how we had the opportunities to start over in many ways. And in some ways that's, that's what people wanted. They wanted yeah. to start over their lives. They wanted um, to have, to, to build certain ideals like public education and all of that. And um, you know, we get into then the civil war. Mm-hmm. Um, but there nevertheless continued to be racism, sexism, classism, et cetera. All the same problems continue. Right. Exactly. And just <laughs> a different carried place. with the people. Yeah, you can't escape your problems. Um, <laughs> and so I think that's the same idea. We can't escape our problems, but we can try. I do think there was something to America's fresh start in that, yes, it carried a lot of the same problems. However, yeah. they had an opportunity to be like, what? It's just like a moment where they're writing things like the Northwest Ordinance, yeah, or the Constitution, uh, and they're trying to define what is important to them and how they want to design that place. Now, there was a ton of problems in politics in that. Um, I'm not going to get into that. But nevertheless, flawed and all, there were good intentions and there were things that came from that, which is why we have like public education and all of that, right? Um, so I think it's the same thing and, and that's what we really got into and what Mike gets into, which is it's about 
who's building it. And it's just about the the people and what we decide to do with that fresh start. We could just make it really bad, you know? Yeah. I mean, people in people in the industry are definitely taking measures to try to improve a number of different problems with building a healthy metaverse, yeah. healthy future in this whole layer of our of our interconnected uh, civilization. When it's if you're talking about uh, like the problems with interacting with phones and being so distracted and centralized on these tiny little devices all day. Well, there's a whole slew of problems that can be solved by taking all of that data and information and putting it, integrating it into your life in the context that is it is important rather yeah. than having to sit here and stare at a device all day. Um, there is the problems of like unconscious bias and, uh, and that sort of thing that we can address through um, – integrating essentially like incentives and training mechanisms to help teach people better uh, or to better avoid those kinds of tendencies um, and to learn over time. And those, those are all things that we can more effectively do through a medium like the metaverse than we've been able to thus far with the internet, Yeah, uh, with the internet through desktops, because it's all external. It's all separate from us. But this is a sort of movement where we can we can integrate it in a way that feels at, as if it is part of our world, yeah, um, or it is a world that we can go to, right? Um, and then just in general, making like healthier design decisions and and following the sort of lessons in in UX patterns that we have gathered over the past decades. Um, and in in dealing with this sort of attention based market that we've built through the current form of the internet. Um, those are all like small microcosms or not small, but they are microcosms of uh, problems that do have tractable space to start tackling and start solving particular issues in those domains. Yeah. So rather than like looking at it as, you know, the, the metaverse is ultimately just going to end up with all the same problems as everybody else or as every other iteration in history. It's like, well, we can still continue to incrementally improve. Yeah. And the fresh start still has value and not a moment of clarity and time. Right. Yeah. A moment of reflection, a moment of mm -hmm. clarity, a moment of looking forward and control over yeah. some things like decision where we live life so much like so out of control and just like handed what we're handed and mm -hmm. how it's very rare when we get this chance to say like, oh, my God, there's going to be this big thing like the discovery of land. That what, oh, look at all the things we could potentially do with <laughs> yeah. that, right? And it was the same thing with the internet. But then I think what what we are trying to avoid, and I say we, I guess I mean like me and also us on this podcast by trying to make it approachable and accessible, yeah. is that the internet was um, same deal where some people believed it was a fad. Like a lot of people didn't think it would be a thing. We talked about that with Matt Chacon yeah. with uh, one of his friends mm -hmm. on episode three. And, it and other, was other people thought it was literally going to be the solution to everything, that it was going right. to solve all of our problems. Yes. And like now we know it, it, our problems continue. Some of our problems are <laughs> amplified. Some are amplified. Right. Some have been gotten better. Yeah. But... And it's helped a lot of things. And now it's like largely yeah. how we live our life. And the people who are really familiar with uh, the XR opportunities and the idea of the metaverse, they understand that this is coming. They understand yeah. like the Internet, we cannot avoid it. Uh, this is going to be our lives. It's going to be integrated in every single person's 
life. And in a different episode, Jay, you said like it's not an industry. We shouldn't be calling it an industry. And I totally agree. Like now we can yeah, because it's, it's a, nascent and we're mm-hmm. figuring it out. And we can kind of identify it on its own. But it's, it's not a like, closed group that's working on it right now. Right. But it's really a it, the the implication of it is a blanket over the entire world. Right. Like we don't say that programming or the Internet is a, is an industry. You know what I mean? Yeah, like or platforms, I, computing platforms. Yeah. Um, we do have like computer science, but ultimately all of that relates very closely and integrates with every single subject yeah. and every interaction, everything about the world. Mm-hmm. And so um, what this all really comes to is like ultimately it's all about who are the people that are involved in building the community? And so in the, in the ex, for example, in the West, uh, or, or actually a great example is the Constitution. There was a very select group of people involved in, <laughs> in, in writing that, right? Yes, a very privileged group. A very privileged group. And nevertheless, we rely on it like Bible uh, as if, you know, the, all those ideas should stay the same forever, mm. right? They were actually, the plan, a lot of them were plantation owners that were in debt, like massive debt from England. Yeah, like there are so many, there are <laughs> so, so there many issues huge... with the whole like founding fathers in the Constitution. I can't even begin. It's not perfect. That's yeah, the it's point. not perfect. But they had some good ideas, yeah. right? And But there were a lot of people not involved. And now if you take that uh, analogy and you, you know, put it into now with, with, VR and the metaverse and all of that like how can we get more people involved how can we be aware and be like let's not let this be a really limited group of people who defines the future and who builds it and it's great that we have people like Mike who actually are really critically thinking about this future and want to help avoid certain dystopian views and therefore decided you know, have lived their life in, in a way to become an architect. Yeah, that. made it their personal mission to actually enable people through that medium. Right, which is probably why he gets frustrated sometimes with journalists. It's like, don't just talk about it. Like, you want to change? Do something about yeah, it. Yeah, you like know? you're you're only looking at the negatives and you're calling them out and basically telling everyone that this thing is terrible. But it's which like, isn't going to be helpful in yeah, the end. And it's also extremely uh, threatening and dismissive yes. of the people that are working on it. Yeah, because they can probably see a number. of very positive things that can come out of it and basically everything has a has a duality like that of positive and negative impacts depending on how it's used right whether that's fire or nuclear energy um because you can power civilizations or create bombs you can burn people or you can cook your food and yeah yeah so like it's that whole dichotomy of tech in general Mm. from the very beginning um, and when focusing, when journalists focus too heavily on the negatives and only call those things out, it's yeah. very painful for people that are actually right. trying to do good things with it. Yeah, I love the, I love that the the burner cook. <laughs> it's such a you great, can, you can, it's such a great can, example. It's yeah. like I'm sure people were like, oh my god, fire! Like the, the amount yeah. of negative things that will come from this, and it's true. So many yeah. have in our control and out of our control in some ways. Yeah, you can like burn down rainforests, or you can feed your your village. Like right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So okay, so. We believe this is why a lot of the reasons why we're doing a podcast like this, where we want to make it approachable, where we do summaries of information that are longer <laughs> than the actual episode. Why you should care about these things because yeah, they are awesome. Right. We want people to care. We want people to get involved and feel like even if you're not going to become an architect of the metaverse, you <laughs> should be able to make demands kind of like you know today where we can make demands about uh, things within our world to politicians or to try and, you know, lobby for stuff or whatever. Yeah. Uh, 
that all requires having an education, an understanding, an awareness, and, aware, and a vocabulary yeah, around all of it. And mm -hmm. if nobody has that, then of course they're not going to have any say or part whatsoever in how it all gets constructed. It also continues to strengthen that sort of divide of us and them, like the people that are in the industry and yeah. trying to build these things and are very innately optimistic about it. Otherwise, they wouldn't be dedicating their lives to it. Yeah. And everyone else that yeah. isn't part of that in group. And if there's no bridge of communication and there's no bridge of awareness and perception, then we will continue to run up against constant friction when trying to progress that that integration with all other aspects of life that can be incredibly beneficial to everyone else. Right. I can't remember if I said this just to you or on a different episode, but at risk of repeating myself, <laughs> uh, my mom listened to the episode with Matt Chacon, episode mm -hmm. three. And we talk a lot in that episode about how people will use VR. Yeah. And she argued that, and this is my mom who I honestly have given her some SHIT about, meaning like, I feel like in this podcast, I've been like, I want to make sure my mom understands. And, th and then I feel like my mom actually knows more than I do, which is like, she was like, yeah, but what about people who work in the service industry of some sort? Like she's a nurse, right? Yeah. And so her perception of how she's going to use VR, it's very different from somebody who goes oh, into yeah. an office all day. Mm -hmm. and And it's like, we didn't even touch that at all in that episode and we're only thinking of like certain people and people yeah. that are using computers constantly. basically the information workforce right. which is such a small segment yes. still and it's to like, this okay, point but what about and 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 how is it that we can have this whole conversation and not think about that or yeah. i mean I'm, we're limited on time but ultimately it's like she had a great point and that's yeah. coming from somebody just because she can start to say that you know and, and understand mm. that and i think that that's so important because if we don't talk with somebody like that mm. and start communicating like that we'll never even think about that yeah we might you know and and like i i never would think of the particular application until literally right now because you mentioned your mom being yeah. a nurse practitioner yeah. um and then that led me to like well what if we what if emts had um AR, right. essentially, so that on the scene, wherever things are happening, they have this whole interface that is helping them make good decisions as they're trying to save someone's life yeah. outside of the infrastructure of a hospital. Right. Um, or you can extend that. I mean, that same logic can follow in the military or any other regard. So right. like, it is all encompassing. It has applications across all industries and spaces. I think that's like really the point here. Yeah. And I think even with that, I mean, we do know we've talked about like AR with surgery or it's just a generally better known thing that like it can provide information to assist in these types of things. Yeah. And so in the case of my mom, well, it might not be VR, it might be more AR as a nurse. Yeah. But then there's also that mixed thing. She does deal with information. She goes back and she takes notes and she sits at her computer yeah. and there's a big part of that too. So then what does that also look like outside of just like, oh, our idea of like the operating room and having additional information? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, the point is, that's why we need the whole world involved in this um, rather than just a select few. I'm really happy that I mean, Mike is obviously he's just a great person in general, and he thinks critically about all these things. I'm glad that he's an I architect. concur on that. Yeah. An unbiased party. Yeah. <laughs> or um, less biased. <laughs> unbiased. Yeah. Mike's less biased, um, But I'm glad that he is architecting this world and we want to invite more people to be interested in that, whether that's becoming somebody like Mike, who's actually, you know, an engineer or any type of, I mean, this is the whole point of who the people that we're talking to, right? There are yeah. lots of different roles, even if that role is just um, being a, you know, somebody who isn't building it, but demanding something as a consumer or being able to talk about it and ask about it. Yeah. 
Um, okay, given that, so <clears throat> we we close out with, I mean, all that sounds great, but uh, we are in fact currently limited and putting the control of our future culture and data uh, in the hands of corporations right now. Yeah, yeah controlling entities, governments. Um, also, there was, you mentioned earlier um, how there's like, people would be able to have more rich interactions through things like the metaverse um, or like avatars and um, these social environments like that. But even in, um, I think I may have mentioned this during the episode, but even in Snow Crash, there is the example of differing bandwidth or Mm -hmm. um, availability of internet connection limits certain people's ability to interact with others. Right. Um, So there's even inequality on like those base levels um, in this fictional projection um, that is far ahead of time, but we still we're still going to be dealing with those kinds of inequalities of access for many decades to come. Yes, yeah. Um, so I guess the 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 next questions and things that we need to answer, and I think the continuing conversation in the next part of the, of our recording, uh, we go down that road. Yeah, um, we start to talk about what what is it that we can do about that, um, and so more more discussion on the positives the negatives what we can do um what mike is excited about Mm -hmm. working on in the future um but yeah all of that to be continued in (laughs) part two um so before we close out uh first of all i have like a couple of things that i just uh little anecdotes i guess or whatever i want to go over um so one is that we talk about the word devolution oh right it is a word it is oh okay and it means what i kind of said it was which is like like to devolve but with ocean at the end devolution right yeah or lucian right (laughs) wait let me double check this (laughs) i'm like just making sure i didn't look up i mean it's not surprising i would guess that devolve since that is a a real word or a oft-used word um yeah, devolution. devolution. Okay, so this is the okay. actual definition. The transfer or delegation of power to a lower level, especially by central government to local oh. or regional. But then it oh. says below that formal, you know, definition, it says descent or degeneration to a lower or worse state. So okay. those are kind of interesting. That's, that's like that's not general. the same as because just if you went from a central government to a local, I mean that shouldn't that's not saying it's a worse state. Yeah, like you you could imagine maybe there is like a political demonstration going on, and the situation has devolved. It has basically gotten worse over time. Mm-hmm. Or if there's a devolution of the demonstration yeah. <laughs> happening. Yeah, I don't know what um, it means when they riot. say like for- <laughs> formal use. Is that like oh Shakespeare used this one time yeah. or something? <laughs> Anyways, okay, so I wasn't like super, super off. Um, The other thing I want to bring up is dingleberries. Oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh, I forgot about that. Okay, so um, so so Mike brings up the dingle, uh, which is a place in in Ireland. Far away. And I say dingle Dingle. island. First, I was incorrect. It's a peninsula. It's a peninsula of dingle. Um, And... uh, so that is part of Ireland. I then say that th- that's where dingleberries come from. And like Jay laughed. I think right, he thought right. I was joking. But I, I actually I, thought, so I need to give context here. So first of all. I, I thought you were thinking of the urban yeah, definition urban dictionary. of a dingleberry. Right. So, but. okay. Dingleberries have like a, a you know, 
uh, grotesque or urban dictionary <laughs> meaning, um, which kind of has to do with like poop and stuff. I'll let you guys look that up. Poop. Poop. <laughs> um but uh it's gross and yeah good luck this was really fun researching i was like why am i doing this um i thought that the urban dictionary meaning meant testicles but that's not actually what it means yeah yeah which i think i've said this before but i i have heard it used that way before but Mm. not typically the that's not like the formal use it's just like some other formal definition some other people were confused just like me so i knew it had these like whatever terms yeah these connotations uh that being said dingleberries are actual berries they're a type of cranberry this was a surprise to me right so i uh didn't so here's the context (laughs) while we were in dingle i was looking at some store that had like a cutesy plate and it had actual dingleberries on it and i think it said like dingleberry it's something like that Yeah, yeah but i think they're actually just taking advantage so it turns out dingleberries are real they do not come from the peninsula of dingle they actually okay. come from the appalachian like the southern appalachians and parts that, of east asia that's where i grew up there you go so jay's right got now. some dingleberries <laughs> what <laughs> i actually never came across dingleberries in the natural uh, uh, forest form, yeah, in the actual cranberry Even, form, yeah, yeah. the cran, well, yeah, wild cranberry form. Well, there you go. Now they, now you know they exist. Yeah. Um, we did have and huckleberries. They're not from though. Dingle, and they are a type of cranberry. And I don't know, Dingle's just like messing around with their. I don't think I made that up that they had this like plate with dingleberries on it, but whatever. Um, <laughs> anyways, that's your lesson of the day on dingleberries. Yeah. Wasn't there there was a cafe or something on the West Coast? Oh that, right, by yeah. The name I was telling you before. Dingleberry. There's like a dingleberry cafe in California. This is all this research. Like I did no research <laughs> other than this, you know. Like, um, but uh, there's a cafe and it actually has like a poop emoji as it's like. Um, poop, uh, as oh wait, it's the emoji. Not an emoji. It looks like it looks that like would the be emoji. Great. That'd be great not, if it was the little like chocolate swirl. It's precisely the emoji, but it's like, yeah, it's like a chocolate swirl. And then, and <laughs> it gets really good reviews. So yeah. you can, if you're in California, you can go and check out Dingleberry Cafe or whatever it is. And, and um, there is also the, the Dingle Dangle flower in the UK. Oh, a Dingle Dangle. Yeah, <laughs> them, them they're Dingle Dangles, <laughs> basically. I don't know anything about the flower though. <laughs> yeah. Well, what does Dingle Dangle come from? I I don't know. That's going to be another thing for you dingle to research. Dangle. Like is Dingle Dangle flowers. There mm-hmm. is a there's a video by um a YouTuber by the name of Alfie Aesthetics or Alfie Aesthetics. Okay. Um and he's got a very like cockney British accent and he was talking about all these different mushrooms and flowers. I don't remember the official name, but I just remember that there was one called a Dingle Dangle. That's awesome. Yeah. Anyways. Makes you wonder like what came first? Was somebody was that already a saying? And somebody's like, oh, this looks, this is, then they applied it, you know, to the flower or whatever. Or they call the flower a dingle dangle because it's dingle dangling. And then it had like a, an yeah. official scientific name given to it, probably. Oh, the history of language. We, scientists came in and just said, we're going to name that something better, I guess. <laughs> they give it all those boring names. Yeah. Um, okay. Peach tree streets or whatever. Peach, the right. use of peach tree <laughs> in Atlanta. Um, so, uh, it is true. Uh, let me find, I think the number is like 71 streets or lanes or whatever, like peach tree something. I think. What did he say? Didn't he say like 60 or something? Yeah. Okay. So it says the peach tree name is common throughout the Atlantic area. In fact, it is often joked by natives that half of the streets in Atlanta are named peach tree (laughs) (laughs) and the other half 
Uh, five names to make up for it. While Peachtree alone almost always refers to this street or its uh, continuations, there are 71 streets in Atlanta with a variant of Peachtree in their name. Do you want me to go through the list? Peachtree Creek Road, Peachtree Lane, Peachtree Avenue, Peachtree Circle, Peachtree Drive, Peachtree Plaza. Okay, I'm kidding. What? I was going to read a few more. Oh, oh, you want to read some? Okay, so yeah, Peachtree Memorial Drive, New (laughs) Peachtree Road, Peachtree Walk, Peachtree Park Drive, Peachtree Parkway, Peachtree Valley Road, Peachtree Battle Avenue. Ooh, that's the one I want to live on. Oh, I like this one. Peachtree Dunwoody Road. And then I think that's actually where I used to work. Yeah, in Dunwoody. Dunwoody? Yeah. That's an interesting name. Anyways. Um... So there's that. Okay. Any <laughs> is anyone still with us? Um, <laughs> They've already skipped to the next episode. That's, right. They're like, we just want to hear the rest of Mike's conversation. Um, oh, did you have something about the blind orchestras from Malcolm Gladwell? Oh, right. So we, there was a reference to that. Um, the book is actually Blink, which um, that came out years. I don't remember the actual uh, release date for the book, but it's been out for a while. Um, it's basically the whole book was about that first five seconds when you meet someone and or see them for the first time and the entire impression and all of the information that is communicated unconsciously Ooh. in that blink of an eye. Um, but I in, didn't know what that's about. That makes so much sense because yeah. he just came out with talking with strangers, yeah. which is very related to perception of people. Absolutely. Go on. Um, so the example that came up in that book and Mike was referencing was uh, he, he basically talked about this research that was done on um, orchestras and their auditioning process. They used to do a just a regular audition where they'd have the musician play in front of a panel of judges, and then they would decide whether to... Uh, get them for the position or not. But the research found um, that when they added a blindfold, essentially, or a wall, um, a a facade, a screen in between the player and the judges, that the basically the equity of male to female representation of players that were actually accepted for positions uh, basically leveled out. I think it was like a 50% increase. Okay. Um, and so the implication was that obviously that there's huge bias against women in orchestras prior to this happening. And now um, I'm pretty sure most orchestras do blind auditions. Um, that research is not necessarily being refuted, but it does seem to have come under fire more recently um, from the academic community that the statistical conclusions that were drawn are not quite as uh soundproof or 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 watertight as the original claims that were made Mm. um and that they're finding that there's it's not quite that black and white yeah essentially like most things of course yeah um but yeah i wonder if maybe uh, maybe it was because like if there's a screen more women are willing to go up and there's probably multiple layers like that just like men and women like men tend to apply for a job if they've got at least 25 percent of the requirements on it and women tend to do like 90 percent yeah or they won't apply mm-hmm. um which is yeah. like self-selection bias essentially right um but i you know any basically adding a blindfold to the process essentially helps with a lot of potential mm. bias anyways so that yeah. was what that particular example came from all right thanks Sweet. Malcolm gladwell yeah and uh that came out in 2005 i think was it okay uh so and I'll just do one final plug, uh, which is I talked about Deadwood. Now, that's on HBO. Not everyone has access to HBO. I do think it's a good show. Um, but more so, I would like to recommend I just finished the book Pioneers. 
and that is by uh, David McCullough, um, who a lot of people would probably know. He's like a famous author for writing about the history of America. Um, and basically, it is about the move west. I find it really fascinating. Um, I It wasn't like the best book I've ever read, but <laughs> here's what it got me into, which is we learn about our history at yeah. a really young age and then a lot of us stop thinking about it we mm-hmm. stop learning about it and especially in today's political environment it i found it really fascinating to go back and look at everything that's happened and i think yeah. that we learn american history yeah we learn american history pretty early on in the game at least i did mm-hmm. um and a european history was after that and so it gets like clouded by Years of distance, being really young and not understanding the importance. And now I just loved reading it. Now, it was a little slow to get into. And there are so many books about like the start of America. I think this was a really good one. It makes Mm. me now also want to read other perspectives. Like it leaves out a lot of Native American stuff. It leaves out uh, a lot of like the perspective of I've moved on to reading uh, beloved shout out to my friend Chelsea who she mailed us all books to start like a book club to continue oh, on that's awesome. and beloved is Toni Morrison and that's like a perspective during the same time frame but uh, from a slave who is escaping um, through the Underground Railroad okay or a couple of slaves I don't know I literally just started uh, but I just like think that we should all be thinking about this <laughs> stuff you know I'm like we should all be thinking about our history we should all because it all I mean it kind of relates to everything that we've talked about in this episode too but just you know um since we were talking about Deadwood and the yeah. move to the west I felt like you know it's on my mind and I think other people should be thinking about it too yeah I think it's really important to revisit history throughout your life not just when you're in public yes. school you know yep there I have a book recommendation for you to follow on or actually Ooh. Two, but one of them is just an awesome book in general from like a not just America, but like world and human development perspective. That is Sapiens by Noah Yuval Harari. Yeah, I keep seeing this in the bookstore, but I haven't gotten it. It's so good. Um, I mean, I love it, but I also love anthropology. So, okay. Um, But that's like the origin story of humanity up Mm. to the present day. And it's very thorough. And there's lots of interesting perspectives in that. Okay. But more specifically to American history, um, American Nations is a book that you should look up. It is about uh, where there's a the author basically spent 14 years doing a lot of research and traveling to all these different parts of the states and North America as a whole, not just the U, not America only. Yeah. Um. So like he was in Mexico and up in Canada and Alberta or um uh, like Newfoundland and all these different mm-hmm. areas that um were all part of the initial colonization of the continent okay um and so he basically tracks from when that started including the native populations and how all of that how all of those different regions changed and shifted over time not from a geographical perspective but from the actual cultures the the communities of people and then essentially culminates all of that by drawing new cultural and geographical lines in the country into like 13 relatively distinct regions And it's they are so much different from the way that the continent is divided up into states and and country borders right now. So this is like an alternative history. It's a it's an examination of what actually happened, not what we wrote down on the map. Oh, 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 sorry. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's not an alternate history. Um, It it is what happened is, is what happened. It's just ignoring the political lines that were set in different areas. And that tell us, oh, well, the East Coast is this way and the West Coast is this way and these states are red or blue. Mm. Ultimately, it's like a political examination of the present day based on 
everything that came before. Okay. What was this one called? American Nations. Okay. Who's it by? Do you know? Oh, I don't have it off the Whatever, top of my head. Whatever, everyone. Look it up. <laughs> Is it like recently published? Uh, last decade. Okay. Um, sweet. Well, get up on your reading, folks. It's <laughs> Lots the of new, learning it's material It's the new there. year. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of Goodreads. I'll plug them. I, You know, we should get sponsors because like, what we the heck? We freaking should. Jeez. <laughs> there are like there were 10 different sponsors yeah, yeah. <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> but I actually love Goodreads because it's like yeah. where you can um it, go and track what books you want to read. Like there's no catch. <laughs> it's like other than maybe it's collecting the data on the books that you want to read. Yeah. Um, But it's literally like. And recommending you, them to Amazon. Yeah. I mean, you like <laughs> can go on. You can see what your friends are reading or what other people are reading you can read reviews you don't buy books through goodreads you literally just go on to track you like add it to a list you can yeah. be like this is what i want to read this year this is what i want to read that you create like um uh shelves so it could be like this is my work shelf this is my technical shelf this is my whatever mm-hmm. um it's and been I, around for a while now it i remember has, it being but in, like, when I was it in high doesn't school. it hasn't really like caught on so many people yeah. i talk to don't use it yeah. and then i finally i keep like trying to get people on it because i just love it so much and you can track so i set up i told myself this time last year i was gonna read 30 books in the year oh. i don't know what i was thinking because i'm a slow reader i guess <laughs> i guess i was Does like that include oh, listening um, it do- for me it does. Okay. Um, I definitely don't understand those people who are like, "That's not really reading it." When you're that's, listening, I'm like, ridiculous. "What are you talking about?" That's ridiculous. So, um, <laughs> like, I get you're that not- it's a different experience, and I can get that you could argue that like you absorb more maybe by I don't. But that's you, different like, for everybody. It's different for everyone. That yeah, is okay. different Anyways. for everybody. It you're still like the same thing happens. You get immersed in the story or the right. material or whatever the hell. Exactly. You learn something. Like, come on, you're folks. not you're not yeah. wearing out your eye yeah. muscles. But anyways, including. <laughs> <laughs> things I listened to, I only read 13. Oh, okay. But I mean, that's that's pretty good, though. That's pretty good. I guess it averages to, you know, one plus a month. Yeah. So, um, anyways, go on there, add these books to your shelf, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, and, like, Hopefully read a lot new. and learn a lot this year. Let's yeah. all be better human beings. Oh, gosh, yeah. Okay, so let's close out. So, f- yep. quickly, uh, yep. if you want to follow Mike, which, by the way, we're going to say this again in the next episode, but um, you should start tracking him on Twitter. <laughs> Oh no, I lost it. Okay, on Twitter, <laughs> he's at <laughs> Mija Gorle. That is M- Mija. Mija. He always goes by Mija. Yeah, not you don't call him Mija. It's like his no, his virtual ne- personality is Mija, <laughs> but he yeah. goes by yeah. Michael professionally. Yeah. Um, or Mike. Uh, so at Mija Gorle, he's gonna yell at me for saying his name wrong all the time. I always want to <laughs> say Gorle. Gorle. Uh, Gorle. Gorle. Like Ole. Right. So M I J A G O U R L A Y. He also Yay. has a website, Dr. Michael Gourlay. Um it's uh, mijagourlay.com. Um so same thing and you can go on there and actually uh it's like an old school website that uh he probably built himself it looks like, but he has a really interesting <laughs> background which we like don't really get into a ton. I'd love to talk more about his background. Yeah. But he used to do like fluid simulations and stuff and you can like if you uh, want to dive into any of the technical uh, weeds that he dug into yeah, throughout his career. he's got a crazy resume. Um, okay. Uh, so that's Mike. And then... The rest... Uh, the rest however, is us. Yeah. However you can find Reality Quest on various platforms. We are probably most active on uh, Instagram right now, but we also have a Twitter that is growing. We're, oh, yeah. We're trying I'm to do the, more with that. I'm on the Twitter now. Yeah. Kelly will get your notifications <laughs> if you message us. <laughs> Personally. 
Um, so yeah, you can find us on Instagram at uh, Reality Quest Podcast. Um, on Twitter at Reality underscore Quest. Um, and then you can find us at realityquestpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. We update all of our new episodes on there um, along with a write-up and also link to SoundCloud. Um, you can see Jay's awesome art on Instagram oh, true, for the yeah. episodes. He always does like a little art piece with it or it's also on our <laughs> website. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from the beginning of this, I started this little endeavor to try to do like some sort of photo composite for each one. So those are always <laughs> so different. So now he's still suffering through that decision. Yeah. <laughs> every episode <laughs> is a stressful week. <laughs> six months later, <laughs> regretting every moment. <laughs> <laughs> like damn you past self for yeah making, you're like oh you know what that. i'll do is i'll add work for myself every episode it's gonna be great no yeah. but honestly i love your art it's so dope and I, everyone just tells me that they like my art and i'm like yeah you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> no i'm kidding i tell them it's all you oh gosh yeah it, no, but it's really fun it, one it's, episode it's a labor i'll of do love. the art and it'll be like a stick figure we'll do like a ms paint drawing like yes. your like your holiday card yeah. Hey, that wasn't that bad. <laughs> I didn't say it was bad. I just said it was MS Paint. Come on, Jay. I know. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm being realistic here. <laughs> no, no, no. It was really good. I get my holiday card for my holiday party. I, I uh, drew on... It wasn't MS Paint. It was like um, it, uh, Illustrator. Oh, okay. But I drew gotcha. a picture of like a, a three cats by a fire. Yeah. No, it was good. I knew yeah. exactly what I was looking at. <laughs> I could recognize the whole scene. That is a good scene. start. <laughs> um, All the objects excellent. were discernible. Yeah. <laughs> I could tell there were three cats at a window. Well, one thing we would love, whether through comments on Instagram, uh, we have been getting some of your feedback. A shout out to um, my good friend Chelsea. She was telling us some stuff she wants to hear, like about uh, the VR porn industry. So that's something we're definitely going to tackle at some point. I feel like that is a domain that is not covered very often because it's a taboo. Yeah. Um, So we feel like that's worthwhile of an exploration. Yeah. So coming down the line. Yep. And then shout out to Charlie, who also connected with us through. Um, through Instagram uh, and suggested that we do more like personal pictures on Instagram. Yeah. So um, we have been starting to do that more now. Yeah, we're trying to. There are some we've missed out on, uh, like taking pictures of when we're recording and doing a bit of the behind the scenes. Uh, We will work on getting better at that. But we love hearing these suggestions. We also would love to hear about this episode because obviously we did something a little different this time. Changing up the formula a little Um, bit. We had a lot of fun with it. That doesn't mean that you did. (laughs) Do we care? I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah, Um, yeah. We'll see where it goes. But yeah, definitely let us know uh, your your feelings, thoughts and feelings, positive, negatives, fine, more constructive criticism. And and you can do that through um, directly messaging us on Instagram, but you can also email us through the website. Yeah, and keep an eye out for like story updates updates on instagram because we'll do little like surveys and stuff on there periodically as well mm-hmm. um i think that's it so stay yeah. tuned uh and have a happy beginning to your new year 2020 folks it's gonna be a good one we're starting it off right One last thing before you go. We would like to present to you, in honor of our guest today, the majestic tones and serene lullaby of the Floridian Screaming Frog. Enjoy.